Bring it in, because the NFL is back officially. Week one, almost entirely done. 15 of 16 games complete. Monday night football still to be played. But boys, we made picks. We sat down. We watched football for hours on end on a Sunday. And the NFL is back. And just as crazy and unpredictable and bizarre as we are, always expect it to be and that's why football is the best so now that we are officially into the new year how are we doing boys great i mean i thought that that was an exhilarating first weekend of real full football um i mean college was electric pro was electric i was sick the entire weekend which sucks but like yeah you're still not feeling great but no no this was a rough one but uh I woke up Sunday like it was Christmas morning. South Africa had a big win in the Rugby World Cup. Yeah. Um, and we went on. That no-look kick uh, you sent was fun. Dude, unbelievable play. <laughs> no-look goddamn kick. But they uh, then right into football, and it was amazing. Um, gambling, just having gambling back. I made some rookie bets. That was hilarious. I also just killed it. So, like, all those things all together, what a weekend. What about you, Scotty? Hey, I'm happy with uh with my what my two teams did. Penn State and the 49ers look pretty dominant. So um can't complain, man. Another week of football. <laughs> it's like it's like for me now, especially with the NFL being back, uh, you know, we get all we get hyped. I talked about that all all week last week, and then it's here and you're like, well crap, now it's kind of like work, <laughs> which is great, but like it's a, it was a lot at, at once. I was going, I mean, there was a handful of good college games um, on Saturday and then Sunday uh, with the, with the full NFL slate. And I wasn't at my home. I was visiting friends up in, in Philly. So it's like, I was all over the place and I'm, exhausted. and you went to go see Tyler Childers who, and I did, yeah. who, who's paying attention to music these days. He's a big name. Uh, one of those up and coming guys, uh, big Tyler Childers guy which is fun, but you're right. Cause I was kind of in a similar boat to you, Scotty. Like it didn't, it didn't, I mean, Vito was sick, right? So he's, he's like trying to gas himself up and get excited. He was not feeling well. You were out of town and like, we're going to a big concert. So like, there's only, so you can't like sit on the couch and drink all day and have no other worries other than football. You knew you had other stuff to do and then turn around and get up really early and come back to DC or uh, Northern Virginia and then me, I was up in a wedding up in upstate New York. Uh, shout out Beacon, New York uh, and Fishkill. Really beautiful area up in the Catskills. B-Town. Um, <laughs> it was directly across the river from West Point. And so at some point, they and I sent you guys the picture of like the stadium that you could see across the river because the, the West Point Army football team stadium is up on this big hill. Uh, but then at night, as we're all out, you know, enjoying dancing, having a good time at this wedding, they turned all the stadium lights on. So you can actually see the stadium lit up from the other side of the river, which is really, really cool. The, Hud- the Hudson River uh, up there in New York. But because of that, like we got up early, you know, drank a little bit, wasn't feeling too hungover. We stopped. There was this gas station across the street that was like an old timey gas station with this big deli and stuff on the inside. So it's like the size of like a Wawa or sheets. And I got a bacon, egg and cheese and 
there was something funky in that sandwich because I ended up getting food poisoning on the drive back. So, yeah, which five and a half hours of food poisoning, not ideal. Um, And of course, I didn't want to stop if I was going to have to throw up. I didn't want to do it at a rest stop on, you know, the Jersey Turnpike. Uh, That didn't seem like the best place to do. So I was like, I'm just going to tough it out and get home. And uh, we get back immediately, like dry heaving, just to whatever my stomach is reacting to it. So similarly to both of you guys, though, I'm, I'm with both of you. Football is back and that's the best thing in the world. But it didn't really feel like a traditional week one where I'm like, I'm going to sit my ass on the couch for the next 12 hours and do nothing. Nobody talk but, to me. <laughs> yeah. And do nothing but watch football, um, which I'm excited to hopefully get a chance to do this Sunday uh, and see if we can maybe get get into the swing of it. But I think a big part of it was I thought to what Vito was saying, I thought this week was wild. I thought there were teams that really showed out who I had no expectations of showing out. I thought there were teams that I thought were going to be good or put up a fight that completely laid over. I said to Scott before we started recording here, like I had a really good week betting wise and like picks wise and and in classic fashion, first parlay of the year hit, right? Because that's always what's happened. I'm going to have terrible luck for the next like month, but the first one always hits every year. But On our picks, like the stuff I was right about, I was right about a ton of stuff overall, but the things that I was wrong about, I was really fucking wrong. Like I was so off the board wrong with some of the stuff that happens. And that's the beauty of of football, right? It's the beauty of the NFL is I felt like what we had kind of talked about on Friday's show when we were talking about parity across the NFL and how this league, there was so much talent and so many good quarterbacks, so many good weapons that you know, we're going to have the teams that we know are really good, but there might be some shockers underneath. And I feel like that was really on on display this weekend. I, don't know, I, I just loved like we had everything from. To your point, teams that are on the come up teams that were like, oh, they looked like shit, uh, you know, players who like, you know, unfortunately, we saw like some players go down, which sucks. We saw some players break out, which is amazing. Uh, Calvin Ridley back like oh, I know we'll get into all of them individually but I think the the storyline of player to player was so good on Sunday because I think we had so much movement in the offseason like and, and we have the biggest one still tonight as you're listening to this like we're recording on Monday we haven't even seen Aaron Rodgers at the Jets yeah like, and that's going to be a whole special uh, you know debut for him so yeah we special week one I and unlike you guys I did get to sit on my ass I had to and do nothing <laughs> so like i got that first week one feeling i promise you guys next week you're gonna you guys will uh have that electric magic feeling i'll tell you what was in mid-season shape already my uh <laughs> my true eagle fan coming out in the middle of football games <laughs> oh dude and, and I got, scaring... I got a story for you <laughs> uh, oh all right is it, is it related go... to that game or it sure is. I watched it at an Irish bar in East Falls in, uh, oh, in Philadelphia. No. Shout out Billy Murphy's. That game was as intense as most other like big playoff or Super Bowl games that I've ever watched. It really and was. I, it, it turned into a crazy game, number one, but like the fans there that were just like uh, on – like on their their shit from week one which i I looked at my wife and i was like this is so philly like (laughs) i was i was just uh i was happy that uh that a good fan base uh had something to uh to get 
intensified about in week one. Well, and I'll say this too. Like I felt that sitting by myself in my girlfriend's apartment, like not feeling well, like I'm bent. And again, we'll, we'll go into it when we get to that game. Um, But to me, and this is, this is true for a lot of teams that come in with expectations, right? So I'm not just saying this because like, this is a specific Eagle thing. I think week one, if you are one of those teams that comes in with high expectations and you're in a game like this where the Eagles should not have been in the position that they were, and we saw this with a few different teams, right? Even if it was a blowout team like Pittsburgh or the Giants who had expectations coming in, part of the beauty of week one in the NFL is it's completely open-ended, right? We saw, was it two years ago? Was it the Titans who beat the shit out of the, uh, out of the, the Packers? It was like an opening. It yeah. was the Saints yeah. with Jameis. It was the Jameis game was where Jameis. Jameis threw like five touchdowns. And we were like, oh, my God, what is wrong with the Packers? The Packers lost twice that season, went 14-2, and two, and were the one seed in the NFC, right? But they got blown out week one by New Orleans. So, like, when you – it's always important, as we say, don't overreact to week one. But when you're a fan and your team has expectations – it's so much harder in close games when all you've heard, especially for like Eagles fans, you're coming off a Super Bowl run, all this stuff. You're like, it's so much worse when there's expectations. And then all of a sudden you're in a barn burner because you're like, fuck, we should be beating the shit out of this team or not. And then, and the opposite can be said for teams with little to no expectations, right? Like, or even somewhere in the middle, like a team like your Broncos veto, right? Like a lot of this is a, what are we going to see this year? What is Russell Wilson going to look like? What is the Sean Payton era going to be? You, you don't have expectations that are like Super Bowl or bust like you a lot of other teams do. So some fans, myself might be one of them, uh, you know, we're in midseason form. Scotty didn't have to worry about that. Your Niners, mm-hmm. your Niners look pretty damn good. Uh, all right, <laughs> let's uh, let's jump in here. Uh, we did not get a chance to talk about Thursday night football, so we will start going back to Thursday because we were recording right before that game kicked off. Uh, Detroit, Kansas City, the Lions – with no Travis Kelsey in for the Chiefs, no Chris Jones, the Lions come out on top. Um, there was a lot of cla- – and this is a classic you know, Monday morning talk show bit, but like do you give more credit, more credit to the Lions or more blame on the Chiefs or put more blame on the fact that they didn't have Kelsey or uh, Chris Jones? Because to me, like you can point out, yeah, no Travis Kelsey – no Detroit Lions, but I think Field Yates said it best on Twitter. Like any team that beats a team that has Patrick Mahomes on it, regardless of who else is playing, that's an impressive win. And shout out to the Lions for doing it because a lot of it came on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, I think it gives more credit to the Lions, bro. Like that team was better than I thought they'd be there. To your point, their offensive line got pushed. Now, one interesting conversation too that I heard after the game was like, who was this game better for contract wise or whatever? Like Chris Jones, like did this game help or hurt Chris Jones? And it actually, it's funny. It's like, it kind of hurt him. I felt like, like they need Kelsey more than they need him. Um, they sure almost. do. So that was a really, in, I thought it would be reversed to be honest. Um, I thought they would show that they need Chris Jones more. So to me, that was the surprise of it that their defense actually played pretty well against that Detroit offense that scored a lot. Like, People got to remember that's a good offense. So um, the Chiefs' offense let them down, which was, I mean, the last game they played and they scored on almost every drive. So like, you know, they killed it in the Super Bowl. So it it was a little bit of knocking off rust, I'm guessing. But Mahomes is Mahomes. He he gets one game skip. 
to suck. I was like, I was really impressed with with Detroit's defense. I, I mean, for them to go in week one, you talk about uh, teams that have expectations. There's no like mediocre franchise that has higher expectations than maybe even the Eagles or the or the 49ers in the NFC. Jeff, uh, I, I think that they've been so hyped in the offseason and to go out week one against the reigning champions with the greatest quarterback that will have ever played the game when it's said and done. <laughs> like, and to shut them down on defense the way they did, especially that secondary. I mean, they were flying all over the field. Uh, Brian Branch, who was a rookie, played out of his mind good. Uh, yeah. CJ Gardner Johnson got involved. Uh, that that whole revamped uh, secondary, I think, uh, took a took a huge step forward. And they asked a lot of new guys and young guys to do a lot uh, against that Chiefs offense, and they stepped up when they when they really had to. Yeah, I, I thought Jack Campbell also played really well. Vito, yeah. I know you shouted him out in the last pod. I mean, his name was coming up constantly in that game. I thought the most impressive player for Detroit, arguably in the entire game, was Aiden Hutchinson. Um, I at the end of the day, like I, I don't think he ended up getting a sack. But what that Detroit Lions team did was make Patrick Mahomes' life really hard without a safety blanket. You know, it was like it's a weird analogy, but it's like a baby during a thunderstorm and you take away their favorite stuffed animal. Like, what's he going to do? Right. It, it's like for the first time, Mahomes is so unbelievable. And even when he was panicked, which is what a lot of what he looked like, like he did look panicked at times. Um, he still was ripping off these unbelievable throws that, you know, Kadarius Tony dropped and Sky Moore dropped and like, they were bad, right? The pick six is huge, but ultimately like, we know how these games go in the NFL. Like we know when you're playing NFL guys, like bounces matter. You're going to get some for you. You're going to get some to go against you, but ultimately like, do you come out on top? And if it's not pretty, you're playing the first game ahead of everyone else. I was so impressed with that team's mental resolve the entire time, right? Like that team to me was so incredibly impressive. Um, and I like what you asked there, Vito. And I, you said, who's, who was more important in that game, right? We all were expecting to God, no, Chris Jones, we're going to see his worth. Don't get me wrong. Chris Jones proved, right? Especially down the stretch yeah. there, the last touchdown that Detroit scored, they ran the ball up the middle. They had one big pass play to Josh Reynolds, and then they punched the ball up the middle with uh, David Montgomery. Uh, right where Chris Jones would have been sticking, right in that left side three technique gap. It was a lot easier for them to run the football. Dave Montgomery ended up with a pretty good debut there for the Detroit Lions. Um, and because of that unbelievable like number here, Travis Kelsey career earnings. After this season is done, $77 million for a dude in his 11th season. After last year, it was only at, 65 million career in earnings, which is absurdly low, right? How many wide receivers in the NFL are you picking before you take Travis Kelsey to be on your team? That upper class of like Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase, yeah. AJ fantasy Brown, less like than a, six is how yeah. it's going. Right? Yeah, right. Like <laughs> fantasy is a good indication of that because it's just based off of just his numbers specifically. That's how valuable he is. And he gets paid like he's like a number two wide receiver in the NFL. And obviously by the end of this contract that he's on currently, he will be at 107 million. So like it's going to and he makes tons and endorsements and all that. I'm sure that's part of the plan. But talk about a dude who is undervalued. Uh, from a contract standpoint for how much he's produced as a pro uh, and how much, I mean, you know, two Super Bowls 
Um, you know, dude's an absolute freaking monster, one man wrecking crew. But uh, no matter again, no matter, and I thought Field Yates put a bet. No matter who is playing at wide receiver, if you beat a Patrick Mahomes led team at home, that is a huge win. So shout out to the Detroit Lions for that. Uh, and that brings us to Sunday. So as of now, because I always forget to do this until the end of the pod. So this year, one of my goals is to do make sure that I go over what how we did with our picks towards the beginning of the pod when we have more people typically listening. Um, we all did pretty well. We all finished above 500 in the NFL, uh, and we all did well with uh, our college picks as well. So uh, Scotty led the day 10-5 and five with his picks. Uh, I finished right behind him at nine and six and Vito, you finished at eight and seven. So all of us with really good, strong starts. However, Vito with, uh, with our picks that we're tracking this year, but for our competition for the season, our three picks, uh, mm-hmm. Scotty and I both went one and two, you went two and one. So Vito finished yeah. last overall, but by, by just a two games, uh, and is one up on our competition so far this year. So, uh, fun to go game. And we still have Buffalo, New York tonight, um, which could, you know, we'll see. I, you and me took Buffalo veto. Scotty took the Jets. Uh, so we'll see again that line when we bet it, when we picked it was Buffalo minus two and a half on the road in New York. Um, let's move to Sunday. So uh, the one o'clock games, couple of snooze fests, right? Uh, Cincy. Cleveland, uh, San Francisco, Pittsburgh, those are kind of blowouts. But then we had a bunch of games that came down to the wire. So uh, we're going to go in the same order. We picked them in. First up, we're going to take the Carolina Panthers going to the Atlanta Falcons. Bijan Robinson proving already week one. I think it was like, what, his first career red zone touch? And mm-hmm. uh, he absolutely broke the ankles of some poor cornerback for the Carolina Panthers. Uh, an unbelievable move. Dances way into the end zone basically like contorted his body to get between two defenders as he dove across, made two exceptional moves. Uh, Desmond Ritter, he's it's kind of Josh Rosen-esque in terms of some of the stat line stuff. I mean, I think he went, what, like tw- uh, 12 of 15 or 12 of 17 or something for like 120 yards. 15, 18, yeah, it's, it's yeah. right in that thing. 115, one touchdown. Nothing's going to – Nothing's yeah, going like to blow out of the water. Of a college game. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but what we're seeing here, and this is kind of what, what we had talked about going into the season, was this offense is going to look a lot like what Tennessee's offense did with Arthur Smith, right? You're going to run the ball a ton. You're going to take your play action shots when they're there. Kyle Pitts had a few catches. Uh, I don't think Drake London recorded a point. So people who drafted Drake London or Kyle Pitts, you're probably not stoked about that first, uh, you know, week one performance from your from your guys in fantasy. Yeah. But overall, Just one target. <laughs> yeah, one one target. Um, but overall, I was impressed. I mean, look, yeah, five of 18 for 115 yards. Uh, they did give up four sacks. I, like I said, I do think this Panthers defense is going to be uh, frisky. Uh, meanwhile, on the Carolina side, 38 pass attempts for Bryce Young. Um I'm just not really sure how that team's going to move the football uh, effectively. But, you know, between what we saw from the Bears and and obviously the Panthers having their own pick, the Panthers could end up with like two top five picks this year if things break their way. Uh, so plenty of opportunities for them to continue to add talent. But what we're going to see is 25 combined carries for Tyler Algier and Bijan Robinson. Um, Kyle Pitts led the day with 44 receiving yards uh, on three targets, two catches, 
Uh, this was a game where, look, the Atlanta defense, I think, really stepped up. You have a really young quarterback making their first debut, and I think Atlanta top to bottom was the better roster, so I think they ended up holding out. This was the game that I think made the most sense. That was like the least shocking of what we saw in week one. I agree. I think to your point, it's the Atlanta defense, man. Like you have a rookie quarterback. It's hard to win. Um, and when he goes in there, you confuse him enough. You got a couple turnovers. And then on the Falcon side, you did enough. I'm shocked. They didn't get beat by in time of possession more. I feel like they really had snaps. They had 25 minutes of the possession, but against some better teams, I feel like this Falcons team, if they can't make some plays in that passing game and open it up, and maybe that wasn't the game plan, right? Play conservative, but they need to be able to open this offense up or else they're going to have a really hard time against the, some teams who can actually run on their defense. Um, you know, Falcons scored 14 in the fourth. This was a tight game the whole way. So um, really their defense, and then their the ability to, you know, get it going towards the end of the game is really the reason they won. And that's, that's kind of what I put it on too. When I made that pick, I figured that the upgrades that they had on defense against a rookie quarterback would, would at the end rule the day. Um, and it did rookie quarterbacks now. Oh, 13 and two, uh, including another game that we'll get to in a second. Two other games. Oh, yeah. 13 and one. Yeah. All time in, uh, in week one over the past, yeah. like, I forget what the stat was actually. No, never mind. Uh, but no, I mean, look, this Carolina team, they look discombobulated. Um, there were moments for Bryce Young. I, I think the Bryce Young thing, I think this is a long play for them. I don't think it was going to be a situation where he's coming into a team that already is built, you know, that has a really good offensive line, that has a, an established top wide receiver. I mean, he's out there throwing to a bunch of guys who, you know, probably would have been, you know, Jonathan Mingo, I know is a rookie, you know, but second round pick Jonathan Mingo, um, but LaVisca Chenault on his like what third or fourth team, Adam Thielen. Um, and I saw a stat about separation. The only player for uh, Carolina who averaged more than two yards of separation on the day was LaVisca Chenault, who I believe was at like a little less than three. So a lack of separation, lack of opportunities, hard throws up and down the field. You can't expect a rookie quarterback to come in there, especially you're going up against a really, really good cornerback in A.J. Terrell. Uh, and who I think the, the MVP of the day for Atlanta was Jesse Bates. 10 tackles, two interceptions, making his Falcons debut. You know, that's a guy who we saw that Cleveland and Cincinnati game. Like, Cincinnati's going to miss him. He's a really, really, really good player in this league. He's being paid like one of the top safeties in the NFL, and there's a reason for it because the dude's damn good at what he does and makes plays. Uh, there just was not any sort of separation or opportunity for Carolina to really push the ball through the air. Uh, Miles Sanders with a with a costly fumble. Um yeah, you know, at one point in this game when it was still a one score game and, and Atlanta did what they did, you know, I'll say this, like, I don't think I was particularly wowed or impressed by Atlanta. I think they were just a better roster. And I think if you played this game a hundred times, I think Atlanta probably wins 85 to 90 of them, because I just think they're in a stage of their development that is just a year or two ahead of Carolina. And I think that defense is really good for Carolina and still projects out to be really solid. Um the big difference, I'd say, in, in, for Atlanta this year and the thing that I think is going to make them uh, an annoying team to play for a lot of, uh, of the better teams is I think their offensive line showed significant improvement. Um, for, as, for as good as, you know, that the, the potential for that defense is for Carolina, four sacks is, is a good number. Um, 
Desmond Ritter definitely wasn't out there, you know, scrambling like crazy. But when Atlanta needed to run the football, you know, they were able to run the football. Uh, 130 yards on the ground. You got two guys you feel comfortable to, uh, pushing the ball to, and their defense played well. So uh, the Falcons come away with a uh, what seems like, in hindsight, like yeah, that was that's probably what was going to always end up happening. Uh, the next game we picked: Bengals Browns, and this was the first shocker of the day. Uh, the the Browns absolutely bodied Cincinnati, and even more than that, this was Joe Burrow's worst game as a professional. Career lows in every single statistic. Completions, uh, yards, only threw for 82 yards. If you had given me odds for Desmond Ritter out-throwing uh, you know, just uh, Joe Burrow in terms of yards week one, they probably would have been very heavily slanted towards Joe Burrow. Uh, and, and look, the Bengals, Joe Burrow had a limited training camp. We know last year he threw four picks against Pittsburgh in week one. Um, and the Bengals and Joe Burrow have never beaten the Cleveland Browns when Joe Burrow's been there, right? They, for whatever reason, this yeah. is this is the team that, you know, yeah, last year Cincinnati got one win. My apologies. Yeah, they did have one win so far in Joe Burrow's career against the Browns. Um, but look, the, the Browns showed something to me on defense. Uh, and people are going to point to the weather, which I think is fair. Uh, people are going to point to a lot of different stuff. I didn't think Deshaun looked great. Uh, I think he looked better than he did last year, but he's still nowhere close to the version that we saw in Houston. So I'll be interested to see that. Again, how much of that is the weather, how much of that is just that's who Deshaun is. But the story of the game for the for, for this game in particular was the Cleveland Browns defense. Absolutely. 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 That defensive line, Miles Garrett, just getting so much pressure. The corners were all over it. The coverage sacks were incredible, right? Usually on a team, either your defensive line is your strength and your corners reap the benefit or your corners are your strength and your defensive line reaps the benefits on a lot of those great lines. And there's usually a combo of both, right? And elite defenses are great at both of them. And it's, that's what happened on, on Sunday. I, I, again, with the weather, I think you can, I really think like I was, it was funny. I was so tuned in and obviously I was sick. I had like the blind shut and everything. Um, but all of a sudden I hear fireworks and I was like, oh yeah, game's about to start. Cool. And I look outside and it's pouring, bro. It was bad. So like I, I put, I'm giving Joe Burrow and um, Deshaun a pass because of the weather. Um, it stinks that, uh, so there was a big injury in this one. I don't know if you guys saw that yeah. yet. Yeah. Um, so they're Bron- or the Browns, I think he's at right tackle now is what he was playing. Correct. Um, oh, man, I just slipped his name too. Jack Conklin. Thank you, Conklin. So Conklin is out for the year, torn ACL and MCL, which is a huge I didn't. Loss. I didn't see that development, yeah. no. I just knew yes. he had gotten hurt. So he's out for the year. And so that's this team is a lot. Listen, they, I mean, the O-line was its strength. Um, is it strength still probably on the offensive side? So they're going to need to see what happens there. But to your point, this is not, I don't, it's jury's still out on how Deshaun's going to play this year, but he seemed more in command of the offense at least, but that's going to happen when you're around the team for just a lot longer. So. Absolutely. I, I, I thought, look, losing Jack Conklin, now that we know it's going to be for, for the year. Um, yeah. That's a big loss. I mean, we're talking about one of the better right tackles in football. Um the thing is, though, they're still really strong four out of five on that front. And if you're going to lose somebody, you know, for the season, week one is, you know, a, there's never a good time. I'll say that. But if you're going to lose somebody, you know, they're going to get plenty of reps for whoever his replacement is to kind of go in there and, and, and 
hopefully make up some of the production that, but you're never going to, you know, um, especially when, again, when you play in this division, you're going up against really, really good pass rushers. The AFC is full of really, really good pass rushers, but my day again, like, the offensive line's really good, even with or without Jack Conklin. They were still really good without Jack Conklin when he went down in this game. Their defensive line between Miles Garrett, Zadarius Smith, I mean, everyone that they had set up there, I thought one of the most standout players led the team in tackles this week. Grant Delpit had a really, really good pass yeah. breakup. He was a dude out of LSU that I swore by. I was like, this guy's going to be a really good NFL player. Didn't really seem to stick in Cleveland his first couple of years. And now he's playing in a different defense with Jim Schwartz. And I think it fits him. I think it suits his skill level a lot more. And I think he's going to be another really, really valuable player for them uh, in that secondary. I will say, like, on, yeah. like I can tell you right now, the most popular guy in Cleveland is Schwartz. Like, that, that yeah. was the talk of oh, the yeah. town. It has to be. It's, it's such a Cleveland-style defense, too. Like – like total AFC North, like just be good at all three levels and, and stuff. Everybody grant Delpit, by the way, led the team. Uh, I don't know. He was second in one of these categories, but uh, overall defense rush defense tackling. He was the, uh, the leading uh, uh, PFF grade as a tackler and, uh, and coverage. All of, all of those grades were above 84, which is a pretty elite. Um, yeah, for for one game, especially so. a game where you're where you're going up against T. Higgins and Jamar Chase and Joe Burrow, uh, so so that's uh, that's pretty impressive. That that defense, I, I said, it, it's nasty at all three levels. I think they're only going to get better as, as as long as they they stay healthy, and that's going to keep them in a lot of ball games. Absolutely, absolutely. And I'll say this: Look, speaking from someone with experience with Jim Schwartz, he can put together a defense that'll be good enough to win you a Super Bowl as a defensive coordinator. He also will give you moments where you want to pull your hair out. Uh, and I think ultimately the the big difference, though, is how much depth do you have, as you said, uh, Scotty, on all three levels. They're really good at defensive line. They're really good at linebacker. They're really good in the secondary. And as long as that continues to happen and this team communicates the way that they did on Sunday, the Cleveland Browns defense, even if the offense isn't great, which, again, like I was pretty underwhelmed. Um, you're, you're paying Deshaun Watson $200 plus million fully guaranteed. You would expect the offense now to have looked a little bit better, but you know we're going to give a pass again. At least I, I give some sort of a pass because of the rain aspect, the weather. It was definitely tough. It was affecting them. But even if Deshaun isn't great, what they do have is a, still a really, really good running game. Two hundred yards on the ground. They have a more mobile quarterback, which makes Nick Chubb uh, and, and Jer- uh, Jerome Ford that much more dangerous. The Bengals are sorry. The Browns are going to be for real. And, and I say this too, I picked the Bengals in our last episode to win the Super Bowl. All right. So one of the things it's like, Oh, how stupid am I? One of the things I feel like I got really, really wrong in week one, this team also, again, just a year ago, started off one and four, two and four, and then went all the way back to the AFC championship game. All right. I, I'm confident the Bengals are going to be able to turn this around. I think you have to give a, a, a huge amount of, of benefit of the doubt to the Bengals, given what they've done the last two seasons, given what Joe, Joe Burrow has, has proven to be as a quarterback. Um, and, and also because, like, look, Joe Burrow basically missed the entire training camp, right? All of that chemistry stuff. I know he played with Jamar Chase. I know he's played with this wide receiver group before. But every year it's a different team. The offensive line, the protections, you lose certain position coaches to – better jobs here and there people that you know we don't even know it's going to take a little bit for everything to kind of start to click 
No preseason time, no training camp. I expect the Bengals to bounce back. Last year, it was the appendectomy. This year, it was the calf. As long as he stays healthy and continues to get opportunities, I'm not worried about the Bengals. In fact, this is the type of shit that historically, when this happens to Joe Burrow, he turns it around and is that much better the next week. So I expect a big bounce back performance from the Bengals here in week two. Uh, All right, next up, a game that almost featured one of the best backdoors covers that we should have seen. We should have seen it. Anthony Richardson and the Colts go down to Jacksonville, 31 to 21. The Jags are jagging off. They're out here. I mean, look, that offense looked really, really good. Trevor Lawrence threw for over 400 yards. Um, I wanted that backdoor cover so bad. I picked. Yeah, that was. Oh, I had. So you'll love this real quick. I have to put in the side of this. So I call it the Nick Calcaterra special. I bet the Jaguars in Oregon on Saturday in a parlay. He's a fan of both of them. They both had the best backdoor covers of all time. The Oregon interception return for a touchdown. That was huge. They on the yeah. last play, if they down it in bounds at all, they're just taking a knee. And then the Jags, it was incredible. Keep going. Yeah. No, I mean, look, the Jags <laughs> making a huge goal line stop. Uh, and, and look, it was a two possession game. They had all three timeouts. Doug Peterson likes to be aggressive. I don't know if I agree with the call. If I'm a Colts or not, uh, not Doug Peterson, Shane Steichen. I'm not sure if I agree with the call for uh, for Shane Steichen there to go for the touchdown when you're down ten because. A field goal and a touchdown, like you still need two scores. You want to make it a one-score game. The field goal wouldn't have gotten the cover, which is why I love that they went for it on fourth down. Didn't love the play call. Um, and you're also sending Anthony Richardson in with two minutes left in a game when you're down 10 uh, on, a, on a QB keeper that he gets blown up and almost like he got a nasty hit put on him. And, you you know, look, you're a rookie. You're going to learn. You're going to learn how to protect yourself. Like that's all part of it. But especially with those running quarterbacks, like that would have been a touchdown in college. That's not a touchdown yeah. in the NFL. That gap closes just a little bit quicker. And the gap was there for a split second. He was a little late getting to it. And he ends up getting tripped up there, gets hit. Gardner Minshew goes in for two games. And then on fourth and, you know, goal from like the three or four yard line, they don't get it. So I wanted, I wanted the backdoor cover. I appreciated the effort from Shane Steichen to try to get to the backdoor cover. But if you're a Colts fan, you're walking away from this. I thought by a large margin, I thought Anthony Richardson was the best rookie quarterback that we saw on Sunday. Um, I think he you could make the argument he looked better than Sam Howell, right, making his second career start. Uh, I, I thought Anthony Richardson showed a ton of promise. Part of that's having a coach who's going to dial up stuff that you're going to like. Um, 21 points out of the Colts is impressive. But look, this game, Trevor Lawrence, uh, damn, why did I say I thought he had thrown for 400 yards? 240 yards, sorry. Uh we saw a hundred yard game from Calvin Ridley in his first game back and a really, really great touchdown. Awesome tr- uh, hustle play from Travis Etienne, who looks crazy explosive. So between him and tank Bigsby opportunities galore, there's tons of weapons. Jacksonville is going to be a good offense this year. And, and I think Indy's defense leaves a lot to be desired, but Jacksonville is going to be there. They're going to be good. And they're going to be coming hard at you. I was surprised with the rest of the receiving core. Um, that wasn't Calvin Ridley. Ridley put up all the numbers. He had a great game. Don't get me wrong. But like Zay Jones, especially late in the game, these two guys, Zay Jones uh, uh, going up against uh, the the wide linebacker out of the slot ended up yeah. with a 90, 90 grade. Uh, he was just bodying him and, and, and using the speed to get around him and get open. Uh, same thing with, uh, with Evan Ingram, who had a, a really great game, great game down the stretch. 
Uh, he was kind of getting all over the, that those wide linebackers and, and finding that those same pockets of space that Zay Flowers was finding too, or Zay Jones, sorry. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I I I'm really impressed with with the balance that they had uh, on offense. It wasn't like, hey, we got a new toy, let's go throw to him thirty times today. I don't know, but I dude, Calvin Ridley was just. Oh, he's great. He's he's a difference maker, right? Like that's yeah. that's why you and granted, like it was a you know unprecedented circumstances as to why he became available. Yeah, but that's why you, I love him. <laughs> but that's why you go out and 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 grab a guy like that, right? Like we saw it last year with the Eagles. You, if you have an opportunity to go out with a young quarterback and get a premier wide receiver in this league, we saw the Bears try to go out and do it with DJ Moore, who you know the Bears didn't do a great job of getting the ball to DJ Moore. We'll get to that game in a little bit, but. This is why you do it, because all of a sudden, Zay Jones, who's been, you know, after being almost out of the league, after being drafted as a first rounder to Buffalo, has made himself a career going to Vegas. Then Now with Jacksonville, you know, being a productive player, showing that he can still make impact plays, even if he's the number two, number three guy. Evan Ingram, another guy a lot of people wrote off. Uh, Jacksonville decides to keep him to give him an extension after a really good season last year. And Christian Kirk was basically nowhere to be found in this game. And that's another viable weapon who we've seen do a lot of stuff, particularly in the deep passing game on this team. I liked a lot of what I saw out of Jacksonville and what that offense and what that offense can and arguably should be on a week to week basis. They do not have the schedule that the, the jets or the chiefs or the Eagles or, you know, name, name your, your the, the Niners, right? Like these teams have really hard schedules. The Jags don't have that. The Jags could very easily sweep their division this year. Uh, and that's six wins right immediately in your pocket. At that point, all you got to go out there, win six more games and you're likely the two seed in the AFC with how much, that division is going to cannibalize one another. Uh, I was really impressed with with what the Jaguars offense looked like. However, it wasn't without some mistakes. Um, I thought the 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 Tank Bigsby play, a little uh, welcome <laughs> to the NFL moment there, bud. Uh, yeah, when the ball hits the ground like that, maybe don't just stand there with it. And then also getting Dude. blindsided by DeForest Bunk, uh, Buckner uh, or whoever knocked the ball out and then DeForest Buckner uh, ended up picking it up and running it back for a touchdown. Correct call by the officials. I mean, they nailed it top to top to bottom. Um, so there's definitely some stuff there. And look, if you're a Jags fan, our buddy Nick Calcaterra here, you're a Jags fan, you're a little worried this week about what that offensive line looked like. And the best offensive lineman for the Jags is suspended right now, right? Cam Robinson, they signed him to the deal. They franchise tagged him a year ago. He's missing four games. Cam Robinson is going to make a difference, even if he's not, you know, one of these top premier, he's not Trent Williams. He's not Jordan Mailata. He's not one of these elite left tackles in football. What he does do is he protects Trevor Lawrence and he gives him that extra second to get the ball out and get it where it needs to go. So I think by the time Cam Robinson comes back, we see an even better version of this Jags offense, which is saying something because the Jags look pretty damn good on offense this week. Uh, Yeah. Oh, and uh, oh, as we're sitting here, by the way, uh, Chris Jones reaches agreement with the Kansas City Chiefs. There it is. Oh, wow. Yeah. Hmm. You lose one game. What was up with his like agents that looked like they were straight out of the 80s? Oh, in the boot and the box on Thursday night? Yeah. Like this looked like that. That was awesome. They should have had one of those phones that was like, you know, like those old giant cell phones that like. (laughs) <laughs> after his like i won't they should yeah, have, you have to pull the antenna out yeah exactly and then yeah and talk on they look like car phones 
Uh, yeah, you're right. They probably had like pleated khakis that were like two sizes too big. Um, yeah, I'd be very just uh, no details yet on the Chris Jones uh, deal. It just says Chris Jones reached agreement with the Chiefs per Cats Bro Sports, which I guess is his agency. Um, so we will we'll find out more uh, and we'll let you guys know that as more stuff develops. Um, but yeah, as a whole, um, you walk away from this game. If you're the Jags, you feel good about the offense. I was really impressed with um, Travis Etienne. The touchdown run by him was a huge moment in that game because at that point yeah. it was still a one-possession game. Uh, the breakaway speed, the stuff we love seeing out of him in Clemson, uh, you know, seeing him fully healthy. I know he played last year and had some really, really bright spot moments, but this is a year for Travis Etienne where you're like, all right, if you're going to be a dude who was worth a first-round pick, like we need to see it out of you this year. Um, for as you know, he's kind of like bow legged in the way that he runs. It's very odd, but he's incredibly fast. Uh, and if you're the Colts, look, uh, Michael Pittman Jr. had a really good day, right? A lot yeah. of people were down on him because they didn't think that Indy was gonna be able to throw the ball. They threw the ball 11 targets, eight catches, 97 yards, and a touchdown. That's a hell of a day for Michael, Michael Pittman. Um, and you saw enough to, to be excited about Anthony Richardson. I think if you're a team with a, with a rookie quarterback starting week one, that's about as good of an outcome as you can expect as uh, Scotty alluded to earlier with that stat for rookie quarterbacks. Uh, all right, up next, a shocker, a shocker, the Baker Mayfield special, the Tampa Bay Bucks. However, it wasn't a shocker if you listen to this podcast because all mm-hmm. three of us took the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to win this game, and the Bucks went out and did it, and Baker Mayfield with a sick stiff arm to get to the outside with the yeah. left hand, um, he was – Awesome down the stretch, right? And not in the like Mahomes, you know, Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert kind of way. He was awesome in a Baker Mayfield kind of way, where yeah, it's just like Fitzpatrick, the Fitzmagic ish. It is, it bit. is, yeah, yeah. It's a little that. It's a little Tebow, you know. Mm-hmm. It's just Baker comes in and just wins games like this. And and credit to Vito, man, because you came in said you were high on the Buccaneers this year. You thought the Buccaneers were going, they were your pick to win the NFC South. Um, and I made the mistake, the classic mistake of doubting Baker Mayfield. Maybe this is because you were at a wedding with Baker Mayfield like a month ago. I don't know. Maybe. Could uh, could sl- be slightly biased. Um, look, Baker made a huge throw on that final drive to Chris Godwin to get a first mm-hmm. down on third down. That was a really hard throw. Uh, Chris Godwin going to the sideline, put it in the perfect spot. Chris Godwin gets the feet down. That basically solidifies the game for them. Um, it did, actually. I think that was the last first down that they needed. And he also did it with his legs. It's that will to win, that that kind of stuff. Now, this offense is not going to be good. Um, they played what seems to be a worse version of the Minnesota defense than we saw last year, uh, despite the fact that Brian Flores is a better defensive coordinator. Uh, Justin Jefferson, nine catches and 150 yards. Show me a wide receiver with 150 yards that was as quiet as Justin Jefferson. When I saw that stat line at the end of the day, I was like, there's no way he had 150 yards in that game. He did. Like It's crazy to think, but he actually did. Kirk Cousins looked old. For the first time in his career, I thought, wow, like, Kirk looks like he's taken, like, as Max Kellerman used to say, right, when he was early on the Tom Brady stuff, falling off the cliff. If I'm a Minnesota fan, I'd be a little bit worried because I thought that was one of the worst Kirk Cousins performances. He still had all the underneath throws and the easy throws, but when they needed him in the red zone, opportunities for him to make big-time plays with guys like Justin Jefferson – 
did not happen there at all. Um, other than the one touchdown pass to Jordan Addison, which was a great ball. But I think that's where the the Dalvin Cook loss really hurts that offense because yeah. that stuff is what opened up. Like it was it was easier to make the underneath throws. It was easier to call Kirk Cousins throwing the big ball downfield uh to to Justin Jefferson like in that Bills game last year. Um it those calls become easier because Dalvin Cook was such a threat on the field. Um, and especially in the red zone where you're like, hey, dump off. Dalvin Cook's wide open on the outside. Like he'll walk into the end zone because you got two guys on Justin Jefferson and a linebacker or two occupying TJ Hawkinson. Like that's the stuff that makes a huge difference. Um, and, and I think that you saw a lot of that uh, combined with with that defense just looks like an absolute sieve and the offensive line looks worse than they did last year too. Um, so. But and this is something I'm sure Vita, you're going to want to touch on here too. Is I I was also low on the on the Bucks defense, and I thought the Bucks defense played out of their mind in this game. They Vita Vea Vita Vea chopped the locks off. I barely recognized them, which is hard to say about a dude at like six foot one who weighs <laughs> three hundred and twenty pounds. But I, I really didn't Glory. like. I it was bizarre like to see him without the 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 long hair flown out. He had a huge play on the goal line, stuffing Alexander Madison. Uh, and that defense flew like flew all over the field. And what this team, I think, reminds me of, and I'm thinking back to, like, Todd Bowles, right, as a head coach. Remember when Todd Bowles was the head coach of the New York Jets? Yeah. And they, they always had pretty competitive defenses, but they could never figure out the quarterback situation. They always had a Ryan Fitzpatrick. They always had a Baker Mayfield type of guy, a journeyman, established starter, never really got over the hump, but they would win close games like that. I mean, I think they went eight and eight in Todd Bowles' first year uh, with with the New York Jets. And like that is very feasible with this roster. I think from a talent standpoint, I think Tampa Bay's defense is probably a little better than some of those defenses. But I think that's kind of where we're headed with this Tampa Bay team, which is that they're going to be a pain in the ass to play every single week because their defense is going to be really good. They're going to be ready to play. But the offense is also never going to close out games for them. Not never, but it's going to, they're never going to build a lead so insurmountable that you feel like you're out of the game. Right. And, and, Throw some respect to my boy Via Vea. He's he's three fifty. That's a big Woo! boy right there. Was I right about the height? At least he's six four. No, six but, four. What? Yeah, yeah. He's a big dude. That's cap. Um, that's no. That's also the first time I've ever used to be cap. six two. Yeah. <laughs> no he's way. Like, v- cleats on. He's got cleats. Uh, no, but so I, I'm with you, man. I don't think this this offense is gonna be able to run it out. What I do love though, to your point, if this is a really good defense and Baker actually has weapons, like that's what those Jets offenses didn't have. Right. But the defense, to your point, is there. I think they're solid. They have some good linebackers. Yes. Like, I I, I think that the NFL, we're going to see a point here soon where there's been a change where roster building, because the last collective bargaining agreement has been very much so about getting rookies and keeping rookies and not, re, you know, re-signing only the best players and then drafting well. And I think what we're going to see out of some of these defenses, especially this year, is that, like, the aging middle linebacker is so valuable because he like there are some spots on defenses where you just need to see a, like a hundred games in your career. And then all of a sudden you get it way better than you did when you were a rookie. And sure. some of these positions that the NFL keeps churning over, I feel like they're realizing like, Oh, this doesn't really work on the defensive side, especially and like having some of that experience is huge. And on the offensive line and like some of those guys, like, like on this bucks defense that I think people were like, Oh, well, you know, it's time to really move on. 
and they're keeping him, I think they're still showing growth, which like that's a huge that's a huge piece and why I think they're surprisingly looking good this year. Now it's one game, but I'm I'm hopeful. Um I've been high on him. Like you said, I picked him to win the division. So um I'm hoping that balance and the pass offense gets him there. Yeah, I mean, as a whole, like I think they're just gonna be a pain in the ass to play every week because you're right, they do have Mike Evans, they do have Chris Godwin. Like they do have weapons still that you have to pay attention to. And I think Baker's good enough to continually throw, you know, 200 to 250 yards a game. Um, they're going to be able to run the ball when they need to. It's, it's not going to be a heavy run-based offense, but their defense is going to be the big difference maker. And you make the point, right? Levante, David, Devin White. Um, yeah. And just look through, like, if you look through the top five leaders in terms of tacklers on their team, and six out of the top seven, eight, it's actually seven out of the top eight, they're all guys from the, the Super Bowl run with Tom Brady. It's Devin White, Levante David, Antoine Winfield, Ryan Neal, Carlton Davis, Jamel Dean, who's the one lone guy, Shaq Barrett, and Vita Vea. All of those guys were on those champion, was on the championship team for Tampa Bay, right? And they went all in and they expect those guys to be able to come out perform. They paid some of those guys. And here they are still performing even without Tom Brady. So and also, you know, let's let's put some respect on the fact that like just when Tom Brady goes somewhere, like he leaves a fingerprint. He was there for three years, made the playoffs all three years, taught these young players how to play in the postseason, how to win close games. Right. Winning close games is a skill. And it's something that you get from repetition, from practice, from opportunity. And sometimes and most of the time it comes down to the ball bouncing your way at the right moments. But being able to clutch up and win close games. Baker's done it in his career. The offensive line's done it in their career. And this defense sure as hell has done it in their career. And I think they're going to continue to be successful. Um, the Vikings, look, bright spots. Justin Jefferson's awesome. We know that. Uh, Jordan Addison's really, really good. But I think, Scotty, I think you hit it on the head. Not having a consistent running game, no Dalvin Cook, that's really going to hurt this team. Um, and Alexander Madison had a tough day. This is a tough defense to try to run against. But the biggest weakness in Minnesota is that offensive line, which was decent last year. They also were able to stay healthy. I don't think they're great. I don't think they're going to be terrible. I think they're going to be somewhere in the middle in terms of offensive line play this year. And I don't think that's going to be enough to overturn what was a tremendous amount of luck with all those one-score games last year. And I think Minnesota, I'm not going to say they're going to be in for a tough year, but they have a tough test on Thursday night with Philly. If they're able to pull that win off, then, hey, you know, optimism out the ass. I'm not sure if we're going to see that uh, from Minnesota. I think Minnesota is going to be in a, in a bit of a weird spot. And the Kirk Cousins stuff, I mean, I, I think could be a trend that we see throughout the season. Um, albeit they played a really, really good defense this year. Um, so shout out to uh, the Tampa Bay Bucks defense. All right, next game. The Tennessee Titans. And the New Orleans Saints. And it's fitting that we're talking about this game right after the Vikings because I thought Ryan Tannehill looked exactly the same way as I was just describing uh, Kirk Cousins, except Kirk Cousins was still really, really productive last year. Tannehill showed some signs of decline last season. Um, but ultimately, Saints eke out one-point win. Um, Derek Carr had some moments that were impressive, right? Some big throws and big opportunities, uh, big moments. You know, the deep ball to uh, who was the wide receiver who caught the deep ball at the end of the game, the one that, that iced the game for him. Um, it does, doesn't matter. Uh, yes, Rashid Shahid. Rashid Shahid. 
Um, had the big 41-yard catch at the end of the game. Uh, Chris Olave with 112 yards, eight catches on 10 targets. Michael Thomas with a sneaky nice day. There you yeah, go, Yeah, I thought of you. I thought of you, Jeff, the second I saw that catch. <laughs> uh, Juwan Johnson putting up some valuable, uh, you know, valuable fourth option there in this game. Uh, but, again, for people who followed us during the fantasy football preview on our 200th episode, I told you, Big-time sleeper from Jawan Johnson. Uh, Scotty, he doubled down on it last week as well. Um, running game, kind of non-existent for New Orleans, but this was an ugly game. Ryan Tannehill looked bad. Uh, De- DeAndre Hopkins already looking really frustrated. I don't know if you saw some of the body language stuff. There was one drive in particular in the second half that, like, back-to-back uncatchable balls that Tannehill kind of had to throw away where Hopkins is like slamming his hands down and like throwing his head back, like throwing a temper tantrum on the field a little bit. Um, He still had seven catches for 65 yards. Uh, It's tough to play a good defense when they're stacking the box, right? Like if if you're Derrick Henry, it's tough to have a good day when the saints are loading up the box and not letting you run the football. And ultimately defensive, the defense for new Orleans is kind of what won this game for them making big stops in the moment. But uh, two teams that seem to be on, on kind of similar pathways here after week one. Yeah, I mean, Scotty called it with the Saints defense, dude. 15 points to the Titans. I thought, especially the first, I feel like the first highlight of red zone was Derrick Henry stiff arming the shit out of the defender in like one of the early runs against the Saints. And I was like, oh, they're going to be in for a long day. And they only gave up 15 points. Um, so like when, when you look at it overall, like I'm shocked that Tennessee didn't have more rushing yards. Um, they were two of 12 on third down. Um, yeah, so it's not going to cut it. Got some work to do there, but like, like we kind of thought the defense looks good. Um, it, it was definitely a little weird. Like Derek Carr had a good game, but, um, and it was cool to see Michael Thomas and Chris, a lot, a lot of catches out there for all the guys, like. Looked like a real operating offense, but um, the Titans did enough when it mattered. Uh, and, and that's, that's kind of how it goes down usually in the NFL. I mean, I think the other thing was that, um, yeah, they so so Titans had like won the turnover margin by one, but I think it's also like the Saints there at the end of the game um, holding on at the end, like Tennessee only getting six points in the second half. Like that's Derrick Henry's prime time, man. That's when you hand him the ball like 20 times in the second half. Yeah. They couldn't do it. They couldn't convert on third. So, I mean, I think it's worth noting too, Tannehill missed two wide open would be touchdown passes uh, over through two wide open wide receivers. Um, One of them was, uh, I think one of them was the tight end who, uh, a con, a I believe who uh, they made, they ran a great trick play, pitched it back to Tannehill wide open down the sideline and he missed them. Uh, I forget who the other one was too, but uh, there were, there were two should be touchdown plays. Um, yeah. I mean, look, if you're Tennessee, like you're, you're happy about the fact that look, the defense looks good, right? The D de- again, the defense kept them in that game uh, four sacks against, uh, you know, uh, again, a pretty solid, nothing crazy, but pretty solid offensive line there for the uh, New Orleans saints. Um Ultimately, like, I, I don't know, Scotty, do you see a huge difference between these two teams after week one? Um, I think there's more upside <clears throat> for New Orleans uh, just because with Derek Carr quarterback, what he offers you more than, than Tannehill could. Those two plays that you referenced that Tannehill missed, 
Derek Carr in in those same type of plays, he's four for eight uh, for 107 yards and a touchdown on plays over 20 yards, which is insane because it was one of the worst pass blocking grades across the line uh, for for the New Orleans Saints offensive line uh, in the NFL this week. Uh, when he's he was 100 uh, percent completion percentage when he was blitzed, uh, so I think he did a lot to uh, to get himself in positions to make those big plays and those explosive plays. And he did, like I said, four for eight and a touchdown with over a hundred yards of his 300 and uh, 305. So uh, that, that I think to me is the difference. And that's what he offers you in the upside there for new Orleans. Yeah. I mean, I, I think you actually just said it perfectly. Um, Scotty switch the quarterbacks and the Titans win this game. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, that that's ultimately what it comes down to. I mean, both teams, have enough weapons on the outside, pretty good offense. You know, I know the Saints offensive line didn't play well, um, but both have good defenses. Um, both have reliable running games and both have wide receivers who will make plays for you in the passing game. The big difference is who is the guy throwing the football? And uh, in this case, Derek Carr at this stage of his career is significantly, significantly better than Ryan Tannehill. And yeah. I think ultimately that's what decided it. Either way, the Titans proved in this game um, kind of what I thought going into it, which I did take the Titans to cover plus three. So thank you to uh, uh, Rashid Shahid for stepping out of bounds and not taking that deep ball all the way to the house because that would have been a really, really shitty loss (laughs) in terms of picks. That would have been a heartbreaking backdoor cover for the Saints. Instead, (laughs) the Titans held on and – as soon as that pass was caught, I was like, oh, get out of bounds. Get out of bounds. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oof. And I looked at the clock. I'm like, all right, couple of knees. That'll be it. And, uh, yeah, I think what we saw from Tennessee is they're going to continue to be what Mike, Mike Vrabel teams are, which is similar. We said about Tampa Bay. They're going to be a pain in the ass. They're going to be good defensively, right? Offensively, you're not going to be worried about them because at this point, Tanhill isn't even Baker Mayfield. It's just low the box, stop Derrick Henry, generate pressure when they do decide to pass it. And Tannehill is probably going to give you a couple of gifts in that game. And, you know, ultimately that's what we saw. Uh, all right. Next up, the first of our teams to get a chance to talk. Scotty's San Francisco 49ers Woo! put on an absolute clinic in Pittsburgh. Yeah. So Scotty, Scotty it is. I mean, if there is well, no, there are the two Dallas. teams, there are two teams that feel Really, really, really good about themselves right now um, in terms of, like, we're going to go win the Super Bowl kind of energy. It's the San Francisco 49ers and the Dallas Cowboys. So, uh, Scotty, go ahead, my man. Floor is yours. That team looked unbelievable on Sunday. Oh, no, I I, I don't want to read too much into it. I, look, they did look great. Uh, everybody stayed healthy. That's the biggest part. Brock Purdy, uh, what we thought was going to be uh, sort of ease him in, didn't really play in the preseason coming off that major elbow injury did not at all look tentative. Uh, not at all. He was gripping it and ripping it. He was using his legs uh, on, on some big plays, big first down plays, which was the most exciting part for me. And then you had the playmakers making plays. Christian McCaffrey had a big 65 yard run for a touchdown, which was fun to watch because it was so explosive. Um, and, and Kittle had some big plays, but the guy on offense who stood out, of course, was Brandon Ayuk who had, uh, an absolute monster day with two touchdowns. This was a guy who I said in the in the preview, uh, by all accounts from camp, like watch out, like because this dude is ready to go, uh, and should be the one. 
ahead of uh ahead of what what we think Debo is now Kyle doesn't really run his system like that but uh traditionally uh we we think that uh every every measure that he had coming out of camp every eyeball that watched him said uh that he was ready to take a step forward and against uh what is a really good secondary actually uh on paper he absolutely carved him up that the first of his touchdowns where he absolutely cooked Patrick Peterson <laughs> After Patrick Peterson goes on a, on the podcast uh, and, and says that the 49ers have tells uh, on offense when uh, when a guy's running a route um, and just absolutely gets cooked by by Brandon Ayuk was fun to watch, um, but yeah, man, all up and down defense was was stifling on all three levels. I thought the secondary played really well. I mean, Pickens had a, a and had a couple of good catches, especially when he became the uh, the the one guy after Deontay Johnson went out of the game. Um, but they were able to stuff Najee. They were able to, to make Kenny Pickett, uh, think about, or think twice about where he was throwing the ball. Uh, it was, it was a solid performance on all three levels for the defense and the offense was, was as explosive as advertised. So here's hoping we get more of that. <laughs> I mean, look, going into Pittsburgh week one, cross the country against Mike Tomlin, that's a hard game. And in fact, it's the worst loss. It's the worst home loss of Mike Tomlin's career um, as, as the head coach of the Pittsburgh really? Steelers. I mean, wow. yeah, I, I, th- I mean, which again puts into perspective just how good San Francisco looked on Monday. Now, again, I think Scotty, I think you're coming at it and I don't think it's bullshit. I don't think it's fake humble. I think you genuinely are looking at it the correct way, which is that look, it's week one love that they looked great in week one. We'll take that. Absolutely. It's the best outcome you could possibly have. Now let's see you replicate it, you know, 16 more times in the regular season and then postseason and everything after that. But what we saw is Brandon Ayuk is the number one wide receiver on this team. And no no disrespect to Debo Samuel, who is a guy they're going to use a bunch and is going to have a good season. This is the guy coming out of Arizona when we saw Brandon Ayuk in college. We were like, there's a reason this cat is getting drafted where he is. There's a reason, even though he played for a really, really bad Arizona team, there's going to be a reason why we we have him here, right? Because they saw what this could be. And it took a couple of years. I mean, he was really disappointing his first couple of years. Last year kind of started to take a step up. And then this past season, this season, I think is his time to be like, yo, I'm as dynamic, explosive, athletic as any wide receiver in the NFL, you know? And now he's got his shit down. I mean, I thought Debo alone was going to be tough to fucking guard, right? And obviously what McCaffrey does out of the backfield, you know, I mean, the fact that we actually thought, you know, when Kyle Shanahan was talking about, you know, we want to make sure that we get Elijah Mitchell the ball. Elijah Mitchell had five carries. <laughs> Christian McCaffrey yeah. had 22 for 152 I, I yards and a touchdown. I think you'll see that change as the season goes on because Absolutely. you want Christian healthy in January and February. Absolutely, you will. I but hope in, not. I have it, McCaffrey in fantasy, and this was a beautiful <laughs> start. Dude, he The spin to sprint touchdown was incredible. Like, that was, that was yeah. It was just so many show-stopping moments in such a short time. Scott, you got to be elated, man. I mean, Purdy looks so much better than I think we thought he would. I definitely, than I thought he would be right now. He's well, so yeah, confident that's... and so quick. There's That's no the hesitation. thing. Oh the decision making in the process, whatever he did while he was injured mentally, I look and he looked good as a rookie last season doing the yeah. processing on the field. Now he looks a, a, even a step beyond that. Yeah, you're right, Vito. I 
I look, I thought I thought Brock Purdy looked really good. I will say, like, I had to go back and kind of catch some of the highlights. I didn't get a chance to watch the whole game start to finish because mm-hmm. I'll tell you what, this game was off of red zone by the time I got back. Oh, by yeah. the time the second half started, this game was not being featured on red zone. So I didn't get a chance to watch a ton of it other than, you know, some late pat, you know, some some late efforts there. Um by by the Steelers to put something on the board to, to not completely lay down. And they didn't, as you, you wouldn't expect them to. Um, if there's one concern, right, out of this, because if you're looking at it and you're like, this, the Niners basically played a perfect game. Um, if there's one concern, if you're a Niners fan, TJ Watt had a fucking day and was a problem. Um, but if I'm a Niners fan, if I'm you, Scotty, I spin that around and go, yeah, you're right. He was a problem. He was breathing down my our neck all day. He was there. Didn't matter. Brock Purdy still got the ball out beforehand. Yeah. And what we saw in the New England game, which we'll talk about a little bit too against Philly, if you can get the ball out early and quick and decisive with your quarterback against a really good defensive line, then you negate what is going to be, I think, San Francisco's biggest weakness there, which is the rest of the offensive line. But you can't even say that the whole offensive line played that bad because – For the most part, they played pretty fucking well against a a good defense. They were able to run the ball. Now, again, look, the one big run by McCaffrey skews some of the numbers. But regardless, like they still broke off the run. McCaffrey still did it right. The blocking throughout the entire game for San Francisco that at least the parts, you know, the parts that I saw and going back and watching it, I was impressed with. That is the only concern that I would have if I'm a Niners fan today. And even still, I would spin that into a positive and say, TJ Watt was a problem in this game and it didn't matter because Brock Purdy was so decisive and confident throwing the football around, which I think should put a lot of teams on notice in the league because what we saw, A, the elbow wasn't an issue. He stayed healthy through the entire game. Um, but B, the confidence is still there. Like he came in after what could have been a really debilitating injury for a lot of people whose profession is throwing something, right? You know, a, a, a pitcher gets Tommy John. The first thing that goes other than, you know, velocity is confidence. And Brock Purdy easily could have gone into this after the UCL tear and it could have messed them up, but it didn't. And when you play with the talent around him that he has, that's obviously a big part of it. But I think we're going to be seeing a monster season out of Brandon Ayuk. I think Debo's going to have his moments. But to me, like, if you're talking about who's going to be the number one pass catcher on this team, I would rather be throwing the ball to Brandon Ayuk more often. And it's an embarrassment of riches to say which one of those is better because they're both studs. But Brandon Ayuk is so dynamic. You try to figure, you know, and and a lot of times it happens throughout the course of the season. What's the connection that's working? Uh, Where's the chemistry between a quarterback and and a receiver or a receiver two? Uh, In your case, Jeff, you have Dante and AJ Brown. Uh, it's it's sort of the same here with with not only uh, Brandon Ayuk and Debo, but Kittle, uh, Christian McCaffrey too as a pass catcher. Those those are the types of connections um, that you need to to have good chemistry on when you come to to the winter time uh, because that's what's going to win you big games. And if from the jump in week one we're getting this kind of connection from, from Brock Purdy and, and Brandon Ayuk. I mean, that's just the, where, where's the, the limit. It does not exist. <laughs> no, I absolutely. I'm trying to find here. Cause there's a great stat on um, PFF. There's a whole category uh, average time to throw. I'm trying to see where Brock Purdy ranked on this list. 
he actually linked ranked lower than I thought he did, which is all the uh, 2.9 seconds uh, in terms of average time to throw. Um, but again, that doesn't necessarily matter all that much as long as the ball is getting out when it needs to get out. Uh, and I think we're going to continue to see that like he's going to be making quick decisions. Uh, it's going to be over and over again. Number one in terms of quarterback who played quarterbacks who played significant time was Dak Prescott, which again similar situation for for Dallas. Really impressive showing for them. We'll get into that game in a little bit. Um, and this stat can also be misleading at times because right behind Dak Prescott is Joe Burrow, right? And Joe Burrow <laughs> had to get the ball out because he didn't have time to otherwise. And so the difference is, can you get the ball out quick, but is it going to the right place? Is it going on time as scheduled? And the difference between Joe Burrow and Brock Purdy here may only be, you know, less than a second of a difference. But if you're forced to get the ball out quick because your offensive line may not be up to snuff, if you're getting it to the right place, that's all that matters. So a uh, huge, huge win for the San Francisco 49ers. Um, the other side of this, look, Pittsburgh, I think there was some buzz kind of coming in late. There was some preseason hype around Pittsburgh with Kenny Pickett. It kind of just felt like no matter what they did, it wasn't really going to matter. Like I feel like when Pittsburgh, whoever they end up, I forget who's next on their schedule, um, but their next game, we're going to see a different version of Pittsburgh. We're going to see an opportunity for them. They, they play Cleveland actually. So that sucks. Um, back to back, <laughs> you're playing two really, really good defensive lines. Um, yeah. But either way, I think we're going to see, improvement as the season goes on again it's a mike tomlin led team i think they're going to continue to look really really good um this week it's a tough game right some days it's just not your day and that very well could be what we saw here or it could be what the entire season is um there's not a lot of positives to take away on offense i thought i mean look 10 care there was there was nine running plays in this game there was a 10th one that was a kenny pickett scramble but you had nine design runs six carries for Najee harris for 31 yards uh, and 46 pass plays, they are trying to shoehorn Matt Canada, and they're trying to shove him down our throats over and over again. And I know Mike Tomlin's a loyal guy, but the Matt Canada thing has been going on for six years, seven years. I mean, at some point, it's just like this offense just doesn't work in the modern NFL. And it struggled at the end of Big Ben's career, and it's continued to struggle now uh, with Kenny Pickett. We'll see. Hopefully, they'll be able to turn – the season around all right uh, a couple more games in the one o'clock window arizona and washington uh probably the surprise underdog cover of the week for the arizona cardinals um the the, the commanders hold on to a win um i'll say this i was really disappointed in what we saw out of the commanders i thought the offense looked uh discombobulated i thought the defense looked really good uh, i think that defensive front looked really good emmanuel forbes with the baker breakup play but the one thing I, I, I heard a lot of people, and look, I have a lot of Commanders fans in my life, um, including people who work for the organization, and everyone was tweeting or talking about, man, you know, the defense looks so good. You were playing Josh Dobbs. Josh Dobbs, literally, they said on the broadcast, Josh Dobbs does not know the first and last name of the entire offensive huddle with the ones. So on one hand, you're like, yeah, we held them to 16 points. Let's go. On the other side, you're like, yeah, but you're playing probably the worst offense you could possibly play with a quarterback who barely hung around in the NFL in Josh Dobbs and has continually shown why he's now on his fifth NFL team. And I know he came in last minute and almost won the game for the Titans last year, 
But if I'm a Commanders fan, I'm not puffing my chest and, and, and being super excited about a 20 to 16 win over the Cardinals. Your team won. It was week one. It was weird. But this Cardinals team is bad. And the fact that the Commanders let them hang around as long as they did, I think is enough to actually show some concern here in week one. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with you. And it was like the most, you know, you look at you can look at any numbers you want. It was like the most commanders week one win of of, of all time, right? Let it let what everyone and their mother knows is the worst team in the NFL this year. I to to put up 16 points on you with a guy who they they signed and then made their starting quarterback. No offense to Josh Jobs, it's not his fault. But signed and made their starting quarterback within two weeks. Like, yeah, that franchise is in disarray uh, with a new head coach. We said it during the game preview, uh, which is why this was one of my locks. I thought Commanders touchdown, even with a rookie quarterback, like this team, this Arizona team was bad. Um, and yeah, you're right; they let them hang around for what we expect too is actually a really good defense. So uh, this is one of those like you throw out a bunch of the stats because at the end of the year they're probably all going to be outliers. But yeah. like, at you look at what you saw on the field, and you're absolutely right, Jeff. You're not impressed by any stretch, and then you look at what the rest of the division did. And you're going, "Oh crap, <laughs> we might win one against the Giants or two. But <laughs> apart from yeah. that, I mean, this is and this isn't like you know Dallas beating a team like the Giants, who with a upgraded roster and they made the playoffs last year and they absolutely demolished them. You know, this isn't even like, you know, pick, picking them at the Eagles or whatever, or the, or the Raiders, whatever, where you're like, you don't really know, but you have expectations, at least for the team that they beat, even if it was a close game. And you can kind of talk yourself into being like, hey, look, they played a good team, a team that's expected to be pretty good this year. They played them close. They went off and one. They played the team that is the runaway favorite to be arguably the worst team in the NFL this season. And they didn't look good doing it. Um, Sam Howell really struggled. You know, Terry McLaurin played in this game. They had a full complement of offensive players here. And frankly, like the Cardinals outplayed them. I mean, in the first half, they definitely did. The Cardinals were up 13 to 13, uh, 10 and at halftime, you know, and, and look, Washington came back and won and, and they won the game. They get credit for that. No question. You did what you needed to do in week one. You came away with a win. That's going to be the overarching theme for a lot of these weird games as you come in with a win. I just don't know how you walk away from this feeling good about your team outside of the defensive line, which we knew was going to be really good coming in. But you're going up against a quarterback who just frankly has no business being a starting quarterback in the NFL. Yeah, I, I think like you're going up against that team, you lose the turnover battle, which is like, that's the thing. It's one thing if you, hey, they had some lucky breaks, whatever. But like you can't lose two fumbles and throw a pick against the worst team. And like, it's just, it's just sloppy football. So to your point, the Washington commanders need to look in the mirror and get a lot, they can get a lot better from this. So like, if I'm a coach, like if I'm the head coach, I think I'm going in there acting like we almost like, like, yeah, the day of let them go. But like that Monday in practice or in meetings or Tuesday, it's going to be bad. Like yeah. those players are getting chewed out. Like it's a loss. That It's a great point. Cause a hundred percent. And, and you're right. If you're, if you're a fan or you're a player, you walk away going, glad we got that win. If you're a player or a fan, you're also turning around and going, we got some serious work to do. Mm-hmm. Because if if Sam Howell – I mean, look, we saw him play against you know Dallas last year and look really good. 
who knows what that, you know, what Dallas's game plan was going into that game. You know, there was a small chance that they were actually going to hold, you know, win the one seed, but Dallas still had a chance to win the one seed. You would think they'd come in playing hard in that game and Arizona or, uh, and, and the commanders just flat out beat them. This was not that game, right? This was, this was felt like a, a different version of that team than we had seen last year. Um, the Cardinals are not going to be a good team. Like that's just the end of it. Um, and, yeah. I, I, look, to throw out numbers like on PFF grades uh, in both in all these categories, uh, total offense, passing efficiency, pass block, run block and running. The Cardinals had uh, a total of five guys over grades of 82. The Washington commanders did not have one. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know how that happens. <laughs> I, I And I think too. look, three different possessions and for field goals for the Arizona Cardinals, when you play teams that are really good teams that are in your division that are good, like the Cowboys, like the Eagles, when you have to play, you know, top tier teams, they're going to be able to be successful in the red zone. And if you're giving up three field goals, like, great, you gave up only three field goals, kept you in the game. It's why you came back and won, but you did it against the Arizona Cardinals, right? This isn't the Dallas Cowboys. This isn't one of the, this isn't the the 49ers. And I think we're going to see that the commanders are going to struggle against really good teams this year. Um, the defensive line is going to probably keep them in games from just making plays. Montez Sweat had one and a half sacks. Um, as a whole, I thought the defensive line for for Washington looked good. And a win's a win, you know. A win is a win. You're never going to take that away from guys. Uh, and this is without Chase Young yet again. Uh, I don't know if Chase Young is slowly starting to turn into like the Michael Thomas of defensive players. Um, but yeah, I mean, if if you walk away from it, Arizona, I don't feel any different about them other than a little bit surprised, like. All right, cool. Jonathan Gannon, you guys hung in there for a game. The defense looked better than we thought they would. Uh, but again, as we know about Jonathan Gannon defenses, they look really good against mediocre quarterbacks. What's going to happen when they play a good quarterback? It's not going to look as good as it did today. Uh, last game of the 1 o'clock hour, Texans-Ravens. Not a whole lot to, to take away from this game. Uh, the Ravens looked rusty. Lamar even went to Twitter and said, like, rusty as fuck, but, you know, you know, good team win. Glad to be back. Lots to work on. One of those things. Um, the big story here in this game, because I don't think it really shocked anybody. The end result: J.K. Dobbins has to be the single most unlucky player in the history of the NFL. And yeah. I, I like your heart just breaks for the kid. I mean, he was such a good player at Ohio State. Uh, whenever he's been in, he's been productive. Albeit, it always kind of like last year he ran with like a limp. Yeah, <laughs> you know was- and. He was clearly like seventy percent and was still better than their other options. Like he is so talented, and yeah, to your point, like it, dude. This was so heartbreaking to see. And like it was his contract year. It's his last year's contract. Like he needed this year to finally be healthy. And we like week one. Like he, it's going to be really hard for him to to have a career. Like this sucks. You know, and and like on kind of a fluky play too. Like it wasn't really anything out of the ordinary. Nothing like super extreme uh, that happened on the play. It almost looked like, like Kevin Durant's one where he just planted and it snapped like, and it didn't even look like, like there was a major injury when he was coming off the field. And all of a sudden we get the report saying uh, JK Dobbins might have a torn Achilles. Yep. Definitely has a torn Achilles out for the year. Um, And it's like, that that sucks. Like that sucks to see a guy try to fight and get back in, especially with all the injuries that he's had. To a, a team that, when he's healthy, he makes them better. Um, For sure. Yeah, it's just a bummer. 
Well, and that's one of the things too, is it's like, I think a lot of people like the running bit with JK Dobbins is like, all right, like when he plays, he looks kind of funny when he runs and, you know, he scores touchdowns or, you know, he shows production. He is a valuable piece to him, to them, right? It's going to be another year of Gus Edwards and Justice Hill, you know, and they're, they signed Mal- Melvin Gordon. It's it's this running back roulette that has been the same thing for the, the Ravens now for going on four or five seasons, basically since 2019, since Lamar's MVP yeah. season. So they've been going back to high school. This is, this is the injury history for J.K. Dobbins going back to high school. Uh, J.K. suffered a broken fibula in the season opener in 2016 for his high school team. He suffered a significant uh, high ankle sprain in the Fiesta Bowl against Clemson in 2019. Then he gets drafted. Uh, and well, he plays the 2020 season for Ohio State. Then he gets drafted in 2021. Uh, ACL tear his first year in the NFL. Uh, meniscus and grade uh, a grade three LCL tear in his knee in the 2021 season. And then uh, in 2021, a hamstring tear. Right. Uh, and that's again, like before now we're going to add uh, an Achilles tear into it. It's like every one of his injuries are significant injuries. And they also happen to be at the most important body part of running backs, which is their legs. I mean, a broken fibula, high ankle sprains, ACL tears, uh, meniscus tears, LCL tears and hamstring tears. And now let's add, Achilles, you know, yes. an Achilles to the mix. So it's just it's unfortunate. Um, like you said, Scotty, you put it perfectly when he's on the field, he makes that team better. And now, and the thing is too, is all of them have been on the same leg. They've all been the right leg. Give him a new leg. Let's get this kid a new fucking leg. We are here guys. I saw robots doing backflips and shit on commercials. Give him a fucking robotic leg and let him take off, dude. I want to see this robot. There were AI robots in the stands in LA. I mean, go, go give him one. Jerry of those Jones legs. has Jerry Jones has a hologram in AT and T Stadium. Yeah, come on, guys. Yeah. Princess get, Leia needs his help. Let's get let's get JT Dob, JK Dobbins a new leg. Um, other than that, though, there's not a lot to take away. Uh, I thought the defense for Baltimore looked really good despite the injuries, but again, they're going up against the rookie quarterback. There were some highlights. I, you know, who I thought was the biggest standout for Houston was Nico Collins, uh, yeah. which I had said to people on um, on Friday's show, I, I like Nico Collins. I liked him in college. He's he's kind of in that, like, Michael Pittman class where you're like, eh, he was a good college wide receiver. You know, uh, he was finalist for Belindikoff winner. You know, I don't know if it's going to translate just because he doesn't have any skills that, like, really blow your mind. He's not crazy fast or crazy tall, crazy athletic, amazing route runner. Um, he's just an all-around solid wide receiver. Uh, and, and I think he's going to continue to have uh, a br- he's going to be a bright spot for the Houston Texans this year. But one one small thing I would take away here. There was one play uh, in the fourth quarter of this game when Baltimore fumbled the ball. And uh, I, don't, I don't remember if he fumbled the ball and it was the one that Lamar kicked and it jumped out or if it was a different fumble. Um, but they they pan over to to um, oh, D'Amico Ryan's on the sidelines. And you would have thought that they just won the game based off of this one fumble recovery in a two possession game where they had no chance at winning. D'Amico Ryan's gets this. All right. D'Amico Ryan's gets what it's all about. He understands, look, this is going to be a process. We're going to be bad for a long time. 
We need to celebrate the little things. We need to build on what we have as a roster. And I I loved that. And if I'm a Houston Texans fan, that makes you feel like, hey, we're in good hands here because we're not going to be a great team right now. We know we're staring down a lengthy rebuild, but we have a coach who is teaching these kids who are young and inexperienced, but with a ton of talent, how to be NFL players, how to value those right things. And it's a small thing, but it's one of those things that I think makes a big difference. And and that was a really cool thing to see uh, from from D'Amico Ryans and the Houston Texans. All right. Uh, let's take a quick break. We're going to come back with the afternoon slate and the Sunday night football game, and then we'll get you guys on your way to the rest of your week. All right, we got six more games to cover here from Sunday. We have the afternoon slate coming up here. Before we get into that, do want to uh, share more of the Chris Jones news. One year left on his deal with the Chiefs, so no new years were added. However, they did restructure his contract. Um, so that way he receives multiple incentives to earn considerably more money this season. That is uh, no specifics have been released as of yet, I like but according it, to Schefter incentive based contracts, there's not much you can do at this point with the salary cap and stuff. And it's a way to be like, Hey, we clearly do need you. Uh, and you are going to be really important to us moving forward. And we want to give you opportunities to make money, but we can't really add, any more money or years to your contract, we'll revisit it in uh, in the in the spring. Which I think is the way that most people, like most organizations, should do this when they have holdouts. Yeah. Like, like why the Colts for, and why why not, why wasn't this last week or why one side agreed to this? So I wonder who had it proposed and who wasn't nudging last week. Yeah, and who nudged? I wonder. You know what I mean? Which side fell? That's a good question. It's a good question. I'd be curious to see if we find out more about it. Yeah. Uh, all right, let's jump in here. Packers Bears first game we picked on the afternoon slate. And once again, we all took the Packers plus one and with good reason, because it felt all too similar for Bears fans. The Packers 38 to 20, uh, a a true ass whooping. And it really felt like it was on both sides of the ball here. Um, We were just talking about in the break, you know, Jordan loves advanced numbers. Like if you look at the PFF grades and stuff, Really weren't that awesome. A lot of mistakes, a lot of miss, uh, you know, misthrown balls, poor decisions from Jordan Love. He didn't get bit by any of them, which, you know, again, if you're a, a Packers fan, you're like, hey, look, Jordan Love, 250 yards and three touchdowns, no interceptions, great day. You know, if you're a Bears fan or anyone else in the league, you're going, yeah, but, you know, the, the highlight plays were great. The touchdown in the back of the end zone to Romeo Dobbs was, was a fantastic throw and catch. Um but as a whole, like we saw enough out of Jordan Love to be like, all right, like the Packers are going to be for real. Where the Packers really shined was on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, uh, Do they have two defensive touchdowns? Or was it just the one? I know they had the one pick six. Um, but causing havoc all over the field, uh, just the one defensive touchdown. Okay. Quay Walker uh, with a fantastic yeah. return for a touchdown. Um but look, causing turnovers, making plays, getting after the quarterback. The defensive line looked really good. Uh, you saw some staples for them. Guys like Kenny Clark having big bounce backs. Jerry Alexander played really, really well. Preston Smith had a really good game. Razzle Douglas still will never make sense to me that Razzle Douglas is now like a really, really good cornerback. I watched that dude in Philly for two years struggle like crazy. He was damn near out of the league until he had that one game where he had like three picks on Thursday night football and – now he's a starting, you know, cornerback in the NFL, and he's playing really, really good football. Um, but the Packers' defense looked really good. 
The Bears up and down. I mean, what a disastrous start for them. Um, I thought George, I thought Justin Fields looked terrible. Um, when they did decide to throw the football, it seemed like he was just as lost going through his progressions as we've ever seen from him. They didn't design any running plays for him. So, um, you know, for all the people saying like, oh, he's going to be this year's Jalen Hurts, like the big difference is like Jalen Hurts, his progression as a passer year after year got better and better. Justin Fields is still the same guy throwing the football that he was before. Um, so I, I don't know where the Bears go from here. We know the talent that's there. Um, he still finished with 60 yards. The running game wasn't impressive. The passing game wasn't impressive. The defense wasn't impressive. There's a whole lot of question marks in Chicago. Uh, and it, it feels like for Bears fans, just, oh, my God, did the, did the Packers just do this again? Are they finding another quarterback who's going to own us for the next decade? What's the bigger indictment, though, for the if you're the Bears? Is it that Justin Fields – look like the same thing that we saw last year, maybe a bit regressed because they didn't even call uh design run plays for him? Or is it that you spent all that money in free agency uh to to go bolster your defense and make it look more like a Chicago defense of old and then they played just absolutely flat against Aaron Jones, Romeo Dobbs, and Jordan Love. With with a defensive minded head coach. You know, yeah. Matt Eberflus is the defensive guy. That's a good question. I, I mean, look, the Justin Fields thing, like you got to be willing to just run the ball with Justin Fields, right? You have to let his running ability open up the passing game. And even if it's not what you want to do offensively, you know, you can't fit the square peg in the round hole. Like you have to change something up. And obviously with how much of a dynamic athlete Fields is, you have to play into his strengths and, and they didn't do that. But I think it's a good point, Scott. I mean, with, with the amount that they invested – on that defense this year, um, and especially, you know, they they passed on Jalen Carter, who was right there in front of him, who came in and was really, really good for the Eagles in week one. You would you would think that it's probably the defensive side of the ball. Vito, do yeah, you have no, any? I, I just think for me this game is uh, – like I'm literally laughing because I was looking back. I had a uh, – Justin Fields over is rushing yards is going to be a common hit this year. Hmm. It was at 60 and he ran for 59 yards. That'd be just one of those, just one of those, like, dude, just, just like to your point, I'm sitting there looking at it. It's wide open. He was not taking off. And I was looking at it specifically for like the second half of that game when they were down as the Packers were expanding their lead. He had lanes. He should have taken off more in some of the passing plays. And this offense is going to have to evolve a lot. Like, you know, DJ Moore barely got involved to catch his 25 yards. He's got, that's has to take a two targets. Step up. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I know they have Jair Alexander. Like they have some great players in like Green Bay Packers defense, but still it was not acceptable for all the moves. Like you said, I think on for the bears, like this team, it's, it's so funny. Like this team just hasn't gelled together yet. And it's almost like we expect it to magically happen because teams turn over so quickly in the NFL now, but like it needs to. And these new players need to get involved in uh, in a big way coming up quick. Well, and that's the expectation, Vito. You know, like the expectation yeah. now, it's, it's you, you know, don't... I can do it in, a, in an offseason. <laughs> you know what I mean? But see, it's crazy. Like, yeah, but like that's the expectation in the NFL now is coaches don't get four or five years to turn a program to turn an organization around. They, you just don't get that leash. You know, we're seeing coaches get fired con- consistently now over the last few years, one and done. And if and this is year number two for Eberflus, 
I know Chicago traditionally stingy with financial stuff, so I don't know what it's going to take to get out of whatever his contract is, but I would imagine it's probably going to be hard. It's going to be hard for them to be able to get out of that contract. It's going to be hard for them to justify moving on from yet another head coach because the Bears are one of those few organizations that is still willing to hold on to a coach. You know, uh, Matt Nagy got probably an extra two years there that he didn't deserve before they moved on. Um, But you have to see some sort of change. And I think, look, the progression when you have a really, really super athletic quarterback is like you have to kind of – change the offense while they also progress into a passer, right? Like Mm -hmm. you're, you're not going to be the running Russell Wilson's a great example of this. You're not going to be running around scrambling Russell Wilson forever. At some point you have to be able to develop. And he did for certain parts of his career in Seattle. And we'll see if he'll be able to continue to bounce back and, and do that later in his career. Jalen hurts is going to have to do it. Lamar Jackson's going to have to do it. Josh Allen's going to have to do it. Mike's great beautifully in, in Philly. If you think Absol- about like what he transitioned into, yeah. Absolutely. And that's what you're going to have to do, right? You can't the, the athleticism is not going to stay with you forever. So what what is it going to look like? What are you going to have to lean back on when you're 28, 29, you've had injuries, you don't have the same burst you did when you were 23? You're going to have to be able to read defenses. And I think what the Bears were trying to do and what they're again, what my my guess would be is that they're going to look into this whole situation and be like look we wanted him to show that he was a developed version of himself last year he didn't so we switched into all right well we're going to run rpos and qb keepers and we're going to let justin fields be justin fields and then otas training camp all this stuff come on in we got dj Moore. we're going to open up the passing game we're going to let justin fields throw the ball and we haven't seen any sort of development there um, Scotty, what else do you have from this game? Because uh, I feel like I'd cut you off there for a second. No, no, you're good. I, not a whole lot. <laughs> you know, I think I think the Packers are are impressive. Again, it's it's one of those things where uh, the numbers won't jump out at you from like an an analytics standpoint, uh, especially on offense. I mean, they had a they had a ton of of yak uh, yards after the catch, particularly on that uh, that. Uh, Aaron Jones touchdown play, which he hurt his hamstring on. Hopefully he's back soon. Not because he's on my fantasy team or anything, but um, hopefully he's fine. Uh, and, uh, and he gets back in the lineup, but he was the difference. Man. He was a leading receiver on the team, uh, largely because of that play. And so, and he had a good day on the ground as well. So he opens up a lot for that offense. I think Jordan love can hide behind some of those mistakes a little bit with the, with the guys they have on offense, especially uh, once Christian Watson gets back, um, so we'll see. I mean, I, I, I'm coming away from this game. If I'm a Packers fan, shout out Jeff Martz, our resident Packers fan. Uh, I'm coming away from this as like, a okay, better than I thought. Yeah. Uh, so I think we all thought, cause we all did pick green Bay to cover, you know, plus one, um, in this game. I don't think any of us would have thought it was going to be an 18 point blowout. Uh, and look, the pick six from Koi Walker had a lot to do with that. Um, but yeah, I mean, you said it there, Scott, I mean, two catches and 86 yards for Aaron Jones, the long one being 51 yards. So we're talking about a 51 yarder and a 35 yarder from Aaron Jones. You'll take those points all day. But again, does that translate down the line is like, is he seeing the downfield stuff? Um, the yeah. touchdown throw to Romeo Dobbs, I thought was the throw of the day for him. And that, that gives you excitement. That makes you feel good. Third down, you're in the red zone. You need a touchdown. 
Uh, and, and Jordan Love stepped up, made a really, really big throw and not a super tight window, but still a big time throw in the red zone. That's the stuff you take away if you're a Packers fan. You go, yeah, okay, he's getting it. There are going to be games this year where Jordan Love looks really bad. I'm telling you right now, there's going to be times where he struggles. But if you walk, again, if you're a Packers fan, you're walking away from this week, you feel really, really good. But again, it's week one. Let's pump the brakes. Let's see how we're feeling after, you know, you know, two or three games into the season, because I think Jordan Love will have his share of struggles as well. All right, Vito. I know you don't want to talk about it, bud, but it's okay. we, got, we got to talk about your Broncos. Now, I said to you, we talked about this before we hopped on, and you were surprisingly optimistic. Yeah. Actually, not surprising. You're an optimistic guy. That's not surprising at all, actually. I, I It's one of the things I love about you. You, you, you see the brighter things um, where I am incredibly, uh, uh, you know, cynical. So um, talk about your Broncos. It's a tough loss. Uh, at, by, by the time we got to halftime, I thought, man, the Broncos are going to r- run away with this game in the second half. Uh, and every time they popped up on red zone, there's Jimmy G and the Raiders holding on to the football and figuring out ways to uh, get first downs and eventually win this game 17 to 16. Yeah. Yeah. So um, listen, I love, so we start with an onside kick. We got to start with this game starts. Cause I think everyone, yes. No matter what you were, was happening, if you were, you know, able to sit down at one o'clock and watch Red Zone, you had some game. Even if you're watching any other game, quick game break, and you're like, "Oh, kick return for a touchdown." No, the Broncos decided onside kick, and it was there. They asked Sean Payton about it. He saw something in the film, like our guy just touched, just he touched it too early. So that's just a boneheaded mistake. Like good call, you know what I mean? Good find and good call. And um, if he just would have waited a half yard, it would have been our ball, um, and he could have. Uh, there was space, so I. You know, I, I like the aggressiveness. I think it came out swinging. They got a touchdown on that drive. And I think that really set the tone for the game, unfortunately, of like we were playing from behind. And um, we missed an extra point. Uh, we missed a field goal. But it was a longer field goal. It was over 50. So, like, you know, a little bit a little bit more manageable. But even if we make that extra point, we're tied. The onside kick, even if we kick it, like if we don't do that or if we get it, that's a huge difference, obviously. So, a play here, a play there. We didn't we didn't get any breaks, it felt like, during this game. So the fact you, you lose by one, everything seemed to go wrong. But the one thing that I thought went well was – or the two things I thought went well were, one, um, we had an incredible defensive performance, I felt like, especially Pat Sertan against Devontae Adams. I thought he was a super bright spot on the team. Um, and I liked what I saw – out of the defense. And then I felt like Russell Wilson did show something that he didn't show last year. He had zip on the ball. Like it was coming out decisively and it, it maybe was not a great throw even in some cases or was behind the receiver, but it was out quick and, or at least decisive. I should say, like I've seen him before where he, he, he has happy feet and bounces and tries to go through every read like three times. And it's like, dude, just take your time. It'll be there. You know what I mean? And I feel like he's just more methodical, a little bit more calmed down. And uh, I liked what I saw out of him. Now he was 27 to 34 again, high completion only for 177 yards. So he's, he's taking what they're giving to him, which, Hey, I'll take that with him and Javante Williams. Like most times we'll, we'll stay in games with that. You know, Um, as long as he doesn't turn the ball over a lot now, that was, you know, it's just a whole nother factor. I think that like we actually won the turnover battle. So like, there's a lot of good things you can build on with this team. Um, And I just, feel like at the end of the day, 
you know, we were around 50% on third downs. Like this was a good overall game. Um, we just couldn't get it going on the ground. Really felt like the line after being improved, didn't really show much of that. Yeah. Um, Tell me about it. Yeah. So it was Javante. <laughs> I mean, no, seriously, he had 13 carries. He had 50 yards. Like it, it was, he, he had an okay day. It's just, there wasn't really, he looked good running, but we didn't have much anywhere to run. And when Greg Dolchus went down, he was involved early. So he's out for, I don't know how long he's out. It's saying it's a hamstring injury. It's what he had injured before coming into the year last year and at the end of the year. And so he's missed a lot of games with it. He's going to miss games now again with the hamstring. We just traded Albert O to the Eagles. So the Broncos yeah. now have like, our, those are our two tight ends. So um, that needs to be figured Chapman. out. And we had Jerry Judy out. And so the point is, is that like, if this is the starting point of a, close loss with a bad performance where the breaks didn't go your way and you're getting pieces back and you know, the team's going to gel a little more on the line. I, it, it was not a good loss, but we're going to be better in the next coming weeks. I still think we can, uh, we can put together a good season. Absolutely. I mean, look, there's uh, to me, there's positives and negatives, just like anything else. Uh, I think the positives are Russell Wilson was the eighth highest rated passer in the NFL this week. Um, so right off the bat, he's making good decisions. He is more decisive. Your, you know, your eyes aren't deceiving you there. Um, I think what it also tells you is that against a pretty bottom of the barrel secondary in Oakland or Oakland in Las Vegas, you would expect even without Jerry Judy, that your wide receivers get more separation. And the, the fact is without Jerry Judy there, Corlin Sutton, I know in the red zone, you know, he's a great threat. They're not getting a ton of separation, right? Which means the, the the Raiders were able to kind of stack the box, stop the run, force those wide receivers to win one-on-one, and they just couldn't really do it. And I think that, that to me, is a big concern um, between that and the offensive line I didn't think had a great day. Look, you're going up against a bunch of really good edge rushers, right? Max Crosby, Chandler Jones – the rookie uh, Tyree Wilson, right? Like you, you got some guys there that are, are, are talented, um, including Max Crosby, who's one of the top, you know, five to 10 pass rushers in the NFL uh, and deserves that credit. Just, uh, you know, just, just as much. I thought the offensive line left a little bit to be, uh, you know, leave, leave desired, but I thought the fact that they went down and scored a touchdown right before halftime and the crispness, the decision-making, the, the, touchdown throw itself to Cortland Sutton in the back of the end zone. I thought all of that is a tremendous sign for what we're seeing, because the biggest issue uh, with what was going on in Denver last year was you had a quarterback who went to Denver to make it his team, right? I am going to have my own office in this, in this building. I'm going to do things my way. I'm going to, I'm going to get to cook finally the let Russ cook movement. And what this game proved is that Russell Wilson listened He's listening to Sean Payton. He's getting coached by Sean Payton. And not just in the sense that like he's literally <laughs> playing for Sean Payton. He is willingly taking coaching criticism and applying it into a game. And it showed good effects. And even though we can make the joke, oh, same thing as last year, right? 16 points and, and you lose after giving up 17. That 20 points line that we talked about in the offseason during the season last year, what we saw as a quarterback who is much more decisive, who is learning a newer system. It's going to take a little bit of an adjustment, but I think you're right for feeling optimistic. Um, I, I think it's it's kind of 
what you would expect for a team that had as big of an overhaul and as weird of a year as the Broncos did last year. Uh, and I think that, again, the biggest thing is we're seeing Russell Wilson willingly take coaching and apply it onto the field. And I think that's a huge win for the Broncos. For sure. Scotty. Um, yeah. I, I think if there's one thing that I would take away, it's, it's the, the, the secondary looked good when you're talking about Justin Simmons and, and PS two, uh, just shading Devonta Adams all day. They did a great job on that. I'd be really, really concerned with the effort Damari Mathis put up on the other side, trying to take away uh, Jacoby Myers, who had an incredible day with two touchdowns. Both his touchdowns came against Damari, uh, Damari Mathis. Um, when I, I'm looking at the schedule, I'm seeing like seven more games where you have a team with an elite one and a really, really good number two receiver. That can't continue. That adjustment needs to be made because uh, teams are going to start taking advantage of that. Uh, really, really quick. So uh, I'm not saying hit the panic button yet, but like that, that is something that jumps out to me where a guy like Jacoby Myers and part, maybe part of it's the, uh, the chemistry that he has with, uh, with Josh McDaniels and, and Jimmy Garoppolo too. But like I, that can't happen. You can't have Jacoby Myers running you for, for 90 yards and two touchdowns. No, you can't. And, and decisively so too. Uh, you're right. Viv. Patrick Sertan's a fucking monster, right? But is there a chance that we live in a little bit of like a, you know, the Raiders with Namdi Asamoah, where it's just he's so good and you can play him in just straight press man coverage and you can, hey, maybe you're able to line him up and, and have him, you know, go from side to side. I know you were saying before we hopped on, you know, why didn't why didn't they have, you know, him just follow Devontae Adams yeah, all across they, the they field, did right? Towards like, the end of the game, they finally made the adjustment, but early on they didn't. And he was every time he was away from him is when he would catch the ball. Yeah, it was a, he, his his coverage was insane. To your point there, Scotty, Ma about Mathis, that's what I mean. We talked about in the preview, like that is the guy I said to watch out for. He's going to make or break our defense this year. He had a rough showing week one, but he's going to get a lot of balls. Like there's nowhere to hide. So yeah. there's nowhere to hide. It's going to keep coming. He's going to have some good days. He's going to have some bad art. We're going to have to live and die by his play. So to your point, like he's got to perform much better uh, if we were going to want to win games. And uh, to, to that point, too, look, Jimmy G, you know, Russell Wilson was the eighth highest graded passer. Jimmy G was third behind Tua and Matt Stafford. Uh, Jimmy G played really, really well. And this is a team that we had very low expectations as a whole. They're the only AFC West team that won this week. Um, the offensive line <laughs> we first had. Place. <laughs> yeah, the offensive line had a lot of questions. They played well, right? That was one of my concerns with the Broncos, which was, are, do they have enough talent on that defensive line to generate pressure? Maybe the Raiders offensive line is going to be really good this year. And it turns out that, Hey, actually, you know what? The Broncos D line is really good. Or maybe it's a problem and the Raiders have a middle of the road offensive line and, and they kind of cancel each other out a little bit, you know, in this type of a matchup, we don't know the answers to all of this stuff yet, which is why you take away the positives that you take, which is Russell looked better. The wide receiver situation hopefully gets better when you have Jerry Judy, Javante Williams looked healthy running the football, which again, I think you take that in a heartbeat. I would expect to see a little bit more Samaji P. Rhyme. He had a really good day, eight carries for 41 yards, just efficient, consistent running the football and just a pretty small sample size with just eight carries. Um, but look, you can't have Samaji P. Ryan and Adam Trotman be your leading wide receivers every single week and expect to make the playoffs. You know, you need more out of Cortland Sutton. You, you know, Cortland Sutton was the only wide receiver in the top five 
and, and catches to him. Little Jordan Humphrey, I know they had to activate him late. Marvin Mims, it's your first NFL game. I get it. Um, but look, positives and negatives. And for the Raiders, hey, you know what? Jimmy G, what do we say? All Jimmy G does is win football games. He goes out there. He does exactly what he needs to do. He gets the ball out on time. He doesn't get sacked. He puts it to the right spot. And that typically is a pretty good recipe to win some games. The Raiders are also fucking weird. And they're going to have a few games this year where you're like, how, what just happened? You know, whether it's the, the, the Mac Jones intercept or the fumble, you know, and the, the pitchy, pitchy woo woo, as our buddy, uh, Scott Hansen likes to say, whether it's something like that, there's going to be something weird that happens with the Raiders because it always fucking happens with the Raiders. But 20 of 26 for 200 yards and two touchdowns, you know, Josh Jacobs looked okay. You know, they only ran for 61 yards, so you would expect a little bit more out of that. Um, But both of these offenses looked like they were week one, and I think that's okay because I think both teams have positives and negatives to take away from this game. I just looked this up because I want to check. Scotty, Damari Mathis. Lasting coverage grade on PFF by a solid five points at 27.4. Yikes. Woof. That's that's that's, <laughs> that's more not rough fun. than I even expected. Pratt Sertan, yeah. number eight. <laughs> Sertan was incredible. And again, he's going to continue. Devontae getting number eight is a solid, solid effort. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, all right, let's go now to what was, I think, undisputedly the best game of the day the Miami Dolphins, and the Los Angeles Chargers. Yet another one where we all agreed on the Dolphins plus three on the road. And this game delivered everything that you'd want. Tua Tungabailoa, 466 yards, three touchdowns. Uh, Tyreek Hill, 11 catches for 215 yards. Uh, a, A bonkers impressive performance here from the Miami Dolphins. And if this is going to be the staple, I was reading... Uh, a piece I forget who did it but I was reading a piece about Tyreek Hill where apparently in this new offense he didn't quite have the perfect understanding of where to hit his brakes where to hit the accelerator uh, in and out of his brakes at the right time apparently he figured that out this year and that was part of why he said he was going to get 2,000 yards receiving Um, I'll tell you what man Tyreek Hill is just so goddamn fun he's so good he's so entertaining to watch Uh, and Tua with I think the best throw of week one with the fade route to Tyreek in the back right corner of the end zone, um, like just unbelievable drop it in the bread basket. I don't know how he got it over the shoulder uh, with the right amount of loft, not too much loft, not he didn't laser it in there. It was just an absolutely feathered perfect throw, which was the, his best skill coming out of Alabama was those feathered throws, those intermediate stuff where you can get it over the linebacker, but in front of the safety, we saw a prime example of that in this game. Uh, Tua looked phenomenal. This offense looked really, really good. A little bit disappointed by the Miami defense um, because the Chargers offense also looked really, really good. The Chargers ran for 234 yards in this game. Austin Eckler popping off for like seven yards a carry. Joshua Kelly, they almost had 200-yard rushers in this game. Joshua Kelly, 16 carries, 91 yards. Austin Eckler, 16 carries, 117 yards. I like the running attack from Los Angeles. That's the underrated part of what Kellen Moore is bringing from Dallas. We've seen Dallas be able to put up big rushing numbers in the past with Zeke and Tony Pollard. Now they're going to get a chance to do that with Austin Eckler and Joshua Kelly. Um, Impressive showing from the Chargers offense, but I mean, this Miami offense was just too good. And if, if this is going to be a trend this year, no offense to your Niners there, Scott, 
I think this is the best offense in the NFL, and I, I don't think it'll yeah. be that close. It's it's like in all all the other quarterbacks in the offseason got paid except to including the one that was on the other side of the the uh, field in this game and Justin Herbert. Two is the one that didn't, and they left points on the field and still had more explosive plays than anybody in the NFL has since 2014 in this game. Uh, it's it's bananas to me how how good this offense can be when it's super efficient. Uh, and against the defense, and now this is a, a question too, is that defense just actually not that good for, for the Chargers? Because we talked about this in the preview, um, in, in the week one preview and in the divisional preview. This is a time for that defense to step up. They've got the names. They've got the talent. I don't understand a defensive minor head coach. This has to be the year. Uh, for for that defense to do anything uh, of 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 any rapport, uh, because otherwise, you know, not only is your head coach out on on the line, um, but like that's the thing holding this team back. Because from what I saw from Justin Herbert yesterday was exactly what we have been looking to see uh, is him kind of get unlocked and and use different guys, uh, use his big playability, use his big arm. Um, which was fun to watch. So, I mean, hopefully on offense that continues for the Chargers, but it's tough to run with a team like uh, like Miami uh, when they're making that many explosive plays. Yeah, Miami's not the team you want to get into a shootout with. I mean, to, nope. to uh, Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddle. I mean, if there's a team that you just don't want to have to go score for score with, it's Miami, especially considering that, like, the Chargers primarily moved the ball on the ground. I mean, Justin Herbert still had a solid day. I mean, he still threw for 230 yards, 23 of 33, was making the right decisions. What I did, what I will say, I actually like this a lot of Justin Herbert. It it felt like he had a little more energy, a little more snap to him. Do you, did you guys notice that too? Like, I felt like with Justin That's Herbert. Robotic, yeah. Yeah, like he, he kind of, there was one play, I forget what it was, but there was one play where he, it seemed like he almost had a little bit of an edge to him where I was like, I don't know if I've seen this out of Justin Herbert, really, even going back to his days in Oregon, which which I liked. Right. You know, I, I think you like that out of your team. You you want to see that, especially out of someone who we've said in the past. You just said it there, Vito, is a little bit robotic in how he goes through his progressions. You just don't want to get into a, this kind of a game with Miami. I thought the play to end the half where the Dolphins were able to, you know, the, the penalty on J.C. Jackson brings the ball out untimed down and and the Dolphins are able to steal a field goal there. I mean, look, this ended up being a two-point game. That play very well could have been a huge deciding point in what this game ultimately ended up being, which was a back-and-forth game between two good offenses. And I think you're right, Scott. I think what, what you said was they have all the names, they have all the talent. I think they have all the names. I don't know if this defense is anywhere close to as good as we thought. You know, I think you see Khalil Mack. Right. And you think, all right, this, he's going to be Joey Bosa. This can be really, really good. Those guys are good. No question. JC Jackson, they gave a big contract to. He barely played last season. He ended up making the, probably the biggest mistake of the entire game that ultimately led to, to points before the half that was completely unnecessary. Um, I, I think the interior of this team, you know, Kenneth Murray, I really liked out of Oklahoma and, and he definitely can still fly around and make plays. But the, the interior of this defense, is lacking. I mean, Tuli Tui Pelotu, um, you know, is like their best interior defensive lineman. And Derwin Jackson is a great weapon on defense, but when you're asking him to do so much, 
he becomes less valuable in what he really excels at. So I think you're right. I think this Chargers defense might end up not being as good as we think. And and the thing is, too, this isn't a, a, a one-off. This isn't just week one. This is what Brandon Staley has led this Chargers defense to being over the last, you know, three, this is what, his fourth season now as the head coach, third season now as the head coach of the Chargers. You know, I, I, I think at this point, like, this is kind of what his defense is. And when young guys take over and they stop being the coordinator and they become the head coach, they don't have the same input on defensive stuff as they used to or whatever side of the ball that they come from. And I think we're starting to see some of that with Brandon Staley and the Chargers. Yeah, I mean, I, listen, this this Miami offense is special. Like, I, I agree with what you're saying. Like, I, I point is, I'm not going to rate anything about the Chargers defense based off this game because fair, fair. It's like this this offense might be doing this to everyone. Who like it was crazy. By the way, shout out to uh, SM grad River Craycraft, uh, our boy Sky's little brother, uh, like with the touchdown today. Love that. Cool. Or yesterday, but f- River getting a touchdown out of nowhere. They had. All these Barrios involved, Waddle and Tyreek, obviously, but they a bunch of other guys have three and two catches. Like Tua was unbelievable getting the ball out. Unbelievable. I'm surprised this completion percentage wasn't higher based off what I saw. Like I, I was just shocked that like I mean he's 28 to 45, it's still really good, but like uh 466 yards. The some of those plays to Tyreek, it was just spe- Tyreek had 215 yards receiving. And two toddies, like he dominated right off the bat. He is special, man. And I don't know if anyone's going to be able to stop him. Yo, I, I think you're right, too. I, I think you're right. I think there's a chance that this is just how good the Miami Dolphins offense looks when two is playing. Um, and look, we, we said that last year when they had that crazy game against Baltimore. Mm-hmm. Right. But now it's like another year with Tyreek Hill there. Another year of Jalen Waddle, like Jalen Waddle had four catches for 80 yards. And I felt like I didn't see him play. You know, like I feel like he wasn't even on the field and yet he still had 80 yards receiving. And there's going to be some days where teams just specifically just like Tyreek Hill used to do when he was in Kansas City. Teams will just focus in on nothing but Tyreek Hill. And then that's going to open up Jalen Waddle. That's going to open up Raheem Moser. That's going to open up Braxton Berrios and Durham Smythe and your boy River Craycraft. You know, like those guys are going to have their moments, too. Uh, which I think ultimately continues to hammer home the point that this offense very well could continue to be really, really special as long as Tua stays healthy. And I think that was kind of our overarching thought. My big thing for the Dolphins is with Vic Fangio and the talent that's on this defense, I expected the defense to be better. Um, But positive note, other defense, Jalen Phillips continues to look like the dude that he was showing at the end of last season which sure. if he ends up being that kind of a guy, 11 tackles as an edge rusher and a half sack to go with it. Um, I mean, he was flying around the field and that is the name yeah. of the game for the Miami Dolphins is speed. I, I think you can make the same argument though, for the Dolphins defense in this game that Vito made just like, and maybe the Chargers offense is really that good. Uh, and Miami's defense like will be good in the end, especially when they get Jalen Ramsey back. But like, against Justin Herbert and what this offense looks like now, are we saying the same thing in like week 11, 12, where we're like, no, that this offense can go uh, to their powerful. And I think the Chargers have the potential for that too. And tale as old as time, Mike Williams hurt in week one. 
And that <laughs> I, I get, and that fucking sucks. It's a head injury. Like never yeah. make like not laughing at the fact that he's injured. It's just like this is what Death it is, man. Like, taxes, yeah. dude. Yeah, I mean, Mike Mike Williams just can never stay on the field. And you noticed it in this game. You you really did. For as good as as the Chargers were running the football, as soon as Mike Williams went down, it was like Donald Parnum and Keenan Allen and and Austin Eckler out of the backfield, which limits a lot of what you know Justin Herbert could do, but. In the NFL, if you put up 34 points in a game, you expect to win that football game. Uh, but when you're going up against the track team that is the Miami Dolphins, that's it's a much taller task. Uh, all right, we got a few more games left. Up next, I think the biggest surprise of the weekend, the Los Angeles Rams absolutely buried the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, Matthew on the Stafford <laughs> on, on the road. In Seattle, uh, all these expectations and excitement for Seattle. I have them. I think I had picked them to be. I think I have it right here, actually. Uh, yeah, I had Seattle as the five seed in the playoffs. So I don't feel great about that pick as of right yeah, now. And I had the it's, Rams getting like three wins. So they're a third of the way there. Yeah, we all did. I mean, I mean look, this roster out of nowhere, uh, Puka Nakua, the rookie out of BYU, who uh, apparently was a really good wide receiver at BYU, just never really could stay on the field. 10 catches for 119 yards in his debut. 2-2 Atwell out of Louisville. That was, what, three drafts ago? I remember watching him when he was at Louisville uh, playing with Lamar Jackson. I mean, and, and he has his first career, like, big breakout game. Van Jefferson even dropped what would have been a, a walk-in touchdown. So this the score could have been even crazier for the Rams. Um, a weird game. Uh, Seattle only ran 14 plays in the second half. Uh, The the Rams just held on to the ball. Kyron Williams, Cam Akers, both having really solid. Well, Cam Akers, 22 carries for 29 yards. Not exactly what you want, especially since uh, 12 of those yards came on one play. Uh, But, you know, we we talked about this Rams offensive lineup being great. Kyron Williams still ended up with a solid day in his part. 15 carries, 52 yards, two touchdowns. Um, you know, two, two out. Well, I, there's Matt. I don't even know. Like Matthew Stafford was just fucking incredible in this game. This was a great yeah, game. I, yeah. Oh, I was, I was going to say I, the, the thing I was most impressed with, with, uh, with the Rams was how much time the offensive line gave to Matthew Stafford and Passbach. That was yeah. something we haven't seen from them in like two years. Uh, and and they actually look pretty decent in the run game, especially when Kyron Williams was out there. So, I mean, that's something to build on, like the explosive playability with with two speedy receivers, Matthew Stafford, a healthy Matthew Stafford back there at quarterback, and, and an offensive line that can build upon uh, a a good week one for a team that uh, in Seattle's defensive line, I said, and I and I think you guys agreed, the step they needed to take forward was with their pass rush. And, and they couldn't do that uh, on defense, and 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 it made the offensive line for the Rams look really good. I'd be interested to see how how well they build off of that. So uh, that was it was a good effort by them on 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 all sides of the ball. But the offensive line impressed me the most for the Rams. Yeah, I thought the defense is suspect. The offense was incredible, and if they can keep performing like that, they're going to have a awesome time. But they got lucky on some defensive breaks. Like I, I just didn't see anything that was jumping out at me. It was a weird win. I it felt like like it felt like the offense was doing whatever, but Seattle wasn't. I don't know. It just it didn't seem like Gino was super sharp. 
Yeah. They couldn't really get the Gina. blocking going. <laughs> yeah, I, I, well, I don't know. It was just it seemed like they just had a handle on them um, for most of the game. And then, like, they, the fact that they just – they threw for 95 yards, Seattle did. Like, that's – you can't you can't have that, you know? No, um, and I think if you watch the first half of this game, it's like Seattle looked good. They, yeah. they moved the ball well. The touchdown the, – the route that uh, DK Metcalf ran was, was filthy to get open yeah, in, in the corner of the end half, zone. Yeah. Um, but – and I think this is the most important thing to, to take away here, especially if you're a Seattle fan, you're trying to justify this. The start of the third quarter was a little bit weird. And then within a span of the same drive, you lose both your right tackle and left tackle within a series of plays. Um, and Tyler Lockett also gets hurt and leaves the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, th- there's not show me a team in the NFL that loses both tackles in a quarter of a one possession game and goes on to win that game. Right. It's a very small list. So it felt like once the injury bug caught Seattle there, everything kind of just like froze and they were kind of like, holy shit. Like we have these expectations. We were playing well in the first half. Our defense was playing well. And now all of a sudden we're out both of our starting tackles and our, you know, most reliable wide receiver. And what do we do from here? And, And that's kind of what, what it felt like. It felt like, in addition to the fact that the Rams just dominated time of possession, played keep away, made sure that the Seahawks didn't get a chance to touch the ball. You know, if you lose both of your tackles, I, I don't know. I don't expect a team like that to win a, a one possession game at that point of where the game was at. No excuses. I get all that stuff. But like, look, let's just be real. Like injuries fucking matter. And you lost both of your starting tackles, both of whom are really good players and are really important to the Seattle offense. What do you got, Scotty? I lied. My uh, <laughs> the thing that jumped out to me most in this game. Did you guys see the clip? Uh, oh, because the mics picked it up of yes. Aaron Donald <laughs> just making a fucking beeline at Geno Smith, and he goes, "Oh my god!" <laughs> oh, you yeah. not see this? Oh, you my, god. oh my god! It's yeah. so good. He's like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> like it was like he literally was like, "Holy shit!" That is man. <laughs> like yeah, it was so wild to see a guy who's that much of an NFL vet being surprised. This late in his career, and it's yeah. just like, dude, Aaron Donald is is can well. They ran, they ran like a stunt play on defense. So like, Aaron, they they cut yeah. across Aaron Donald. He stepped, curled back, and then had a wide open lane, and he's just coming at him like a, like a running back hitting the hole. Except you, it's Geno Smith standing there with a football. <laughs> oh my god! And just straight into the dirt. But oh, that was funny. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah I love that. Uh, <laughs> Do you do you feel different about the Rams after this game? Do we feel like maybe we were a little low on them? Maybe we we discounted. I mean, out of all the Rams talk and stuff we did in the preseason, the one thing we kind of neglected was like they still have Sean McVay and Matt Stafford, and they did win a Super Bowl like less than two years ago. Yeah, yeah and I Cooper just, Cup not on the field either for this one. He's on IR. I, you want to know what, just a side note, the easiest player prop bet of the weekend was? It was Bobby Wagner over tackles in the revenge game. It was like <laughs> five and a half tackles. I'm like, dude, are you kidding me? It's Bobby Wagner. He's going to go off. How many tackles um, did he end up with? I well, Let's see, actually. 19. <laughs> uh, really? 19. Oh, my God. Yeah. I knew he got over it in the first quarter. It was just like, this is an easy one. Oh my god, 19 tackles. What a fucking monster. That's hammered incredible. that over. Yeah, that's um, incredible. To, to answer your question, no, I I I really don't. 
I think this says more about the regression of the Seahawks and and how good. Uh, again, those injuries don't help, but I think, you know, one of the question marks was how good does Gino look? Well, uh, Gino doesn't look all that great when he has two of his starting tackles missing. Um, are they able to run the ball as well as they did last year? Not really. Not when you run the ball fourteen times. Um, and then uh, the defense did the defensive line step up and get uh, pressure? Uh, no, not against what we thought, uh, and and probably will be at the end of the year. One of the the uh, less talented offensive lines in the NFL. So I think it says more about the Seahawks than it does the Rams. But you know, division wins are are, are big whenever you can get them, especially on the road. Um, I wouldn't be shocked, you know, if they're if all of a sudden they're in the, in the mix in, in the division with, with two wins by the time Cooper comes back and they're like, Hey, let's, why not? Let's make a run. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but, the, cause that's the thing too. It's like, if we're looking at what this team is like defensively, they played well. Again, I know the two tackles went down for Seattle. That is a huge, huge thing um, that should not be overlooked for what's, you know, how this game ultimately played out. But like Aaron Donald still looked like Aaron Donald. They generated a really like they generated pressure. Um, I you bring Cooper Cup back, and if Cooper Cup goes to this specialist and they fix his hamstring, and if this Puka kid, Puka Nakua is good, like I don't know, man. I just I feel like everybody overlooked the fact that it's Sean McVay and Matthew Stafford. And uh, I, just, I, just I think, I think the defense though, that's the thing. Maybe not, but like, could they, and could they sneak into the seventh seed in the NFC? Absolutely. The NFC is terrible. Yeah. You know, like if, that, if we're sitting here in week 18 and the Rams are playing, you know, probably Seattle again or whatever team they're playing in, in, um, you know, in, in their last game with a chance like, Hey, if you win this game, you get the seventh seed. They play San Francisco. San Francisco could be resting their starters at that point. Like, who knows? Like I, I wouldn't be shocked at all. Um, and they, they have not the toughest schedule in the world. They do have San Francisco and Cincy in the next two weeks, but then Indy, they have to play Philly, Arizona twice. I don't know. I just, I wouldn't be shocked. That's all I'm saying. I think, and I think more importantly, and maybe it's more so McVay than Stafford, but like McVay's a fucking good coach. And I know he was the first of like the wonderkin coaches that we had. Um, but I think oftentimes we kind of forget like, oh, yeah, like Sean McVay is really, really good. <laughs> and, and and I think we, point, we though, probably like, should have put more respect on their name going into this season. And the fact that Stafford's still probably one of the top five NFC quarterbacks. Yeah. I mean, I think like, after everything with his elbow last right? year, people thought he was going to be done. But, I mean, his arm, he was the second highest graded passer in the NFL this week behind Tua. Yeah, like, and I would think you'd even say that about last year. So I, I mean, I think he's gonna have a bounce back year. And to your point, NFC's open, man. Yeah, so we'll see what the def- the team can do. All right, two more games. The last one we're not gonna have to spend much time on. Um, this one we can spend a little bit of time. The Philadelphia Eagles hold on mm-hmm. to a game that they <laughs> should not have been worried about holding on to against the New England Patriots, twenty-five to twenty. Uh, Darius Slay with a huge pick six. Jordan Davis forcing a fumble, uh, leading to a, a really, really nice throw by Jalen Hurts to Devontae Smith for the touchdown. Uh, an early 16-0 lead, thanks to a missed extra point by uh, Mac, uh, by uh, uh, Jake Elliott, that somehow by halftime it was 16-14. to 14. 
And we talked about last year how the Eagles were the best second quarter team in the NFL. They sure as hell did not look like it. Um, this offense looked pretty bad. I'm not going to lie. Um, I know Nick Sirianni came out, you know, and backed up Brian Johnson and, you know, said, hey, we, we thought he called a really good game. Jalen Hurts did the same thing. I think that's a lot of coach speak. I think Brian Johnson had a really, really, really rough day. Um, there was a lot of conservative play calling and a lot of just there, – there was a certain spark with, like, Steichen last year with that offense that in big moments you never questioned what was going on. And I thought the most evident moment was at the end of the game against – uh, uh, against the Pats there, the Eagles, it's, what was it? It was uh, first and 10, and they needed a first down basically to ice the game, right? And it was the, whatever the series was that uh, the Eagles ended up like going for it on fourth down, and then uh, they didn't get it. They went under center the first two plays, designed handoffs to Kenny Gainwell that, I can't remember other than the the push push play and taking a knee, seeing Jalen Hurts under center last year. Um, and look, in that situation, it felt like the Eagles weren't that aggressive, like no doubt in our mind, we're gonna go get this first down, we're gonna win the game, which is exactly what they did last year in week one against Detroit. Right? They went for it on fourth and one, they got the first down and they iced the game. Here it's first and ten. You have Jalen Hurts under center. Handoff to, to Kenny Gainwell. He gets three yards. They do the same thing again. Kenny Gainwell. Uh, then it's third and long, a third and four pass play incompletion and or third and two. And then, then it's fourth and two and another incomplete pass. I, I hated the play calling. I hated the sequences of it. If you knew you were going to go for it on fourth down, then why are you yeah. running it under center with Jalen Hurts? and not giving the guy you just spent $250 million on an opportunity to go pick up a first down and end the fucking football game. Instead, on fourth and short, they go for it after basically showing them that they weren't going to go for it before. Don't punt. Don't get the fourth down, and Mac Jones and the Pats have a chance to go down there and score. And if it wasn't for Josh Job with a really impressive play, keeping his hand on the back and pushing uh, the wide receiver, uh, Bourne, Kendrick Bourne, out of bounds there, I, the Eagles should have lost this game, guys. And I, I'm not saying this in a hyperbolic way at all. Like, good teams find ways to win close games. Sirianni said afterwards, like, they might look into changing up whether or not players play in the in the preseason next year because zero snaps in the preseason look to have affected a lot of the starters. They look super rusty. I know the weather was a part of this game, but, I mean, look, the special teams was fucking horrendous. Um I mean, there were multiple penalties. They had to call multiple timeouts because they didn't have enough players on the field in two different situations because of special teams, multiple big returns. I counted at least, not including the missed extra point by Jake Elliott, I counted six uh, fuck-ups on special teams. So, Michael Clay, already your job is still on the hot seat from last season. Uh, Aaron Sipos with the dumb penalty, tr- kicking it late. There was just so many game management things from the coaching staff that I was really, really disappointed in seeing. And I thought on both new coordinators, there were some highlights. I thought Brian Johnson as a whole didn't do a great job, but there were moments, especially that first drive, they looked really good. I thought Sean Desai in the first quarter was like, holy shit, we have the best defensive coordinator in the league all of a sudden, right? Um, But there was a lot of stuff, a lot of wide open throws underneath, 
a lot of gaps in that coverage scheme. Uh, and, and what we found and what scares me is like the exact offense that New England r- runs is, is very similar to what San Francisco does, except with a quarter of the amount of talent that San Francisco has. And that's like the defensive line was beating the Patriots offensive line pretty much in every single snap, but it didn't matter until the third quarter. The Eagles didn't have a sack until the third quarter because Mac Jones was able to get the ball out with to Ramondre Stevenson or Zeke Elliott with 20 yards to run in front of him. Um, there's a lot to clean up. A win is a win. We're stoked on it, but there's a lot of work the Eagles need to do. I thought Jalen in particular had a pretty rough day, uh, missed multiple wide open receivers. Uh, I didn't think he looked great running the ball. I, the offensive line for the Eagles didn't look great. There was a lot of concerns, man. And I know we love Cam Jurgens, and, and, and I know he's, you know, him and Grant are boys, same draft class. And Vito, I know you have experience with him. He's very undersized playing offensive guard, and they've gotten away with it with Kelsey for so long playing at, you know, 300 pounds because they've had Brandon Brooks and Landon Dickerson who could be tackles that are so big to help make up for that. Cam Jurgens is, is a problem, and there was a few times where he just got flat up bullied onto his ass. And I love Cam Jurgens. I think he's going to be a great replacement at center, but there's a lot of shit the Eagles need to fix. I, I come yeah. away with it. Week one, you get a win. No preseason play. Let's go on to week two. They'll get a long – they have to play Thursday night. They'll get a long break. But I don't know. I mean, Vito, I know the Eagles are your NFC team. Were you as pessimistic as I was, or or am I just being overly critical Philly fan, Jeff? I think um, I think a little bit in between the two. Um, listen, I think that Jalen played well, but there was – like, I don't think that was his best game of all time, right? Like – that was not he, he he missed a couple plays. Um he also like the line may definitely affected what he was able to do. Don't get me wrong, but I also thought in the second half, like you gotta get some stuff going. Um I'm shocked that DeAndre Swift got one carry. Yeah. And Siri Sirianni know, said that at the end of the at the end of the game too. Yeah, and um, same with like Goddard not getting touches. Like I th- just think that like almost the coaching, like, I think the players still great, good win. Patriots fought back. I mean, I think, and we'll talk about them in a minute, but like still on the Eagles, I I think that the players are still there. It's a good team. They weren't utilized correctly is what it seemed like to me almost. And I didn't really love that aspect of the game, but overall you get the win, you, you get up. It's just like, I'm just shocked that, they let the Patriots respond so hard in the second quarter. Um, yeah. And then they didn't, to, to your point, run away with it, blocking and just dominating on the run game and being diabolical in the passing. So yeah. a little four, different f- for sure. Four straight three and outs in the first half. Uh, that's the first time in Jalen Hurts' career the Eagles did that. Uh, I mean, look, I think credit to New England. I thought they had a really, really good scheme and, and came up with a really clever way of trying to help deter Jalen Hurts of scrambling because anytime Jalen kept it, there was someone from New England right there to meet him at the line of scrimmage. Um, the, the, the the read option game itself, the zone run option game, was just not there at all. Non-existent. The entire game. Yeah. Um, and the first drive it was, and then New England made an adjustment, and it was gone. A.J. Brown had one target in the first half. Uh, there were there was a lot left to be desired, but I'm chalking a, a, I'm chalking some of it up to look Brian Brian Johnson's first game calling plays in the NFL. Um, 
it's not going to look great. You know, it's going to come with some stuff. Same thing with Sean Desai calling defenses. Uh, Nicobe Dean gets knocked out of this game with a foot injury. He's now expected to miss a month, which sucks because if you watched him, when you watched him play, the impact <clears throat> he had on the run defense was sensational. Uh, he's obviously a bit of a liability in the pass game because uh, he's just not the athlete that some of these other guys are who could, you know, your Fred Warners and even just other linebackers that can hold their own. He struggles in pass defense. But every single running play, man, he is right there, knows at the football, making plays. Just wasn't – I mean, like as soon as he was out, Christian Ellis, I actually thought played okay in um, in his place. But that's going to hurt them. And the Patriots are able to run the ball better in the second half when Nicobe Dean got knocked out. Uh, Fletch was a little banged up. And there was one other Eagles injury. Um, uh, James Bradbury left the game. He was bleeding out of his mouth. I'm not sure exactly what that was. I, I did, yeah. Heard. Haven't heard an update from that. They called it a head injury. So, um, but Josh Job came in and made again made the game winning play. Uh, to me, it just the the whole energy and vibe of the Eagles team on Sunday felt very different from last year. You know, the Eagles team last year they're up sixteen nothing in the first quarter. They're like, cool, we got our second quarter. That's when we're going to thrive, and then that's when we're really going to pile it up. And they put this game away at halftime. Um, and, and I thought the defensive stuff, you know, this is a game, as much as it's going to pay me to say this, that you kind of wish you had James, uh, Jonathan Gannon, you know, because Jonathan Gannon against the mediocre, you know, quarterback would have absolutely done a better job than what Sean Desai's defense did in pass coverage. Um, so there's there's some stuff to clean up. And the talent's there, like you said, Vito, but this is not going to be the same Eagles team as last year. It's it's just not. It's going to take, it's going to take some changing and some work, but um, – the talent is there. Uh, it's just going to take some stuff. Scotty, what did what did you make the the consensus top contender for your Niners right now? The Eagles, right? So, you know, watching this game, what do you come away from? Uh, you know, you were in Philly watching this game at a Philly bar. Yeah, uh, deep deep Philly bar, East Falls. Shout out Billy Murphs, one of the greatest bars in the in the United States of America. Uh, I'll tell you what, the the linebacking play concerns me a lot for you guys. All that turnover, uh, which which has led to to not only a thin unit but uh, a unit that looks completely different than last year, that was able to uh, have have the 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 pass defense ability that they were they uh, that made them successful. That had a guy like C.J. Gardner Johnson who could come in and and as a safety and sort of play the, uh, uh, an off linebacker type of role to help stuff the run and be good in in pass coverage over the middle. Mac Jones inside of 10 yards in this game was 28 of 42, 212 yards, uh, 66%. And that's all with 2.38 uh, time to throw. That was tops uh, or top three in the, in, in the NFL. Over the middle, Mac Jones was 22 of 28. I'm talking about inside the numbers. 22 of 28, that's 78% completion, 185 yards and two touchdowns. And so th- that to me, that turnover at linebacker, uh, helped Hunter Henry get wide open a number of times or helped at least helped him get uh, to a point where he could body up a linebacker and be like, I'm better than you. I'm bigger than you. I'm going to catch the ball. Uh, and, and Mac Jones and, and Bill O'Brien in the offense took advantage of that in the second half, I think. And that, that made a, a big difference to me on offense uh, for the, for the Patriots and on defense for, uh, for the Eagles. Yeah. Uh, guys beat up. Two things real quick. One, yeah, Bill O'Brien back for the Patriots offense. This is what an offensive coordinator can do. Like, throw away last, last year's Mac Jones, 
everything about it. This he is threw like, 54 times, and a guy looks at me at the bar and goes, what the fuck are the Patriots throwing 54 times for? I was like, that's Bill O'Brien. Yeah, I was just like, yeah, not, not surprised at all, actually. Um, but, like, it, it's working. So how about this? So that, that's just going to work out. I, I think we can all wait and see on, on how he performs the rest of the year. But um, PFF has – it does overall team grades based off all its grades throughout the game. And most of the time it's pretty much lines up with wins and losses – there's some exceptions. The highest ranking team that has a loss is Patriots at 11. And they're actually over the Eagles that are at 17 in terms of PFF ranking for best team. Crazy. Very crazy to see that. Um, uh, they're they're the only one in the top 17. That has I mean, look, the Patriots, I think overall, were the better team yesterday. I think the mistake early, the 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 I mean, look, Mac Jones, I know the, the numbers will bear this out. It didn't look good. You know, there was a ton of stuff where, hey, deep coverage was open or, you know, was all tied up, dump it down to Ramondre. Ramondre picks up seven yards, right, and gets him a first down or gets him, you know, there was a lot of that kind of stuff. He made big-time throws when he needed to, but the arm strength with him, the ball was floating in the air. And I, I, I there was multiple times where Jim, uh, Tony Romo was like, this is a throw, you know, Jim, this is a throw that you really got to put a little bit of extra heat under, you know, you kind of got to kind of got to zip that in there and make sure that, you know, your receiver got a chance to catch the ball. There was a few plays like that, but the Eagles also, I think got off lucky. I mean, there was a play late on that final drive for the Pats where wide open wide receiver had the coverage beat by three steps and Mac Jones overthrew him by, you know, three or four yards. Um, and then obviously, you know, like even the, the catch there at the end, doesn't get the second yeah, foot I was gonna say down. the last I mean, play I was like that that if that throws on target uh where it should be that was a perfect route yeah and, and he gets two and, feet in we're talking about a different ball game and it's look it's a wide receiver I forget who the kid was but he you know not a big name wide receiver it's hard and who am I to say oh you know you got to be able to get two feet in bounds and again I think he would have gotten the second foot in bounds if Josh Job doesn't push him in the back and push him out of bounds uh, I, I really do think that was the play that like saved the season or season save the game for uh, for Whoa. Philly. That's we what won. it feels. That's what it feels like. <laughs> um, but look again, you come away with this with a win. Um, the offense looked really bad at times and looked pretty good at others. I thought the third quarter, it felt like look Jalen still finished as a top ten quarterback in passing grade, right? Like even though he missed stuff and this was a down game from what we now kind of expect to see out of Jalen. If you told me this was, you know, what he was going to look like last year, I'd be like, damn, that's great improvement, right? And it's a testament to how good Jalen has gotten. I think it's just, it's a new team. It's the, the coordinator change is a big deal. Um, and I think they're probably going to drop a couple games early before this, this new group kind of finds its stride. But there's too much talent on this team for them not to hit their stride at some point. And it might just be a little bit later in the season. And it's there's going to be some growing pains. But for now... You know, I thought all in all, it's a win. It's one in the win column against a really good defense. And we didn't even talk about this. The Eagles ruined Tom Brady day, which to me, that's the best thing you could ask for. You fucking ruined Tom Brady day in New England uh, at Foxborough while he's standing up there. And I don't know if you guys caught this on the broadcast or not. Uh, Scotty, you may not have because you were at a bar, but they were interviewing Tom Brady right after the half after the ceremony. And uh, he's wearing the the Pats jersey or whatever. And they actually, he actually said at one point, he's like, you know, how how's the transition? Watching up, you know, for the first time up in the box on opening day. And he goes, oh, you know, it's it's definitely a little weird. You know, I'm enjoying it, but 
you know, I get a chance to sit here and watch two of my favorite teams go at it. And I was like, two of your favorite teams? What the fuck are you talking about, Tom Brady? This is one of the teams that beat you in the in the Super yeah. Bowl. You don't like the he Eagles. Hates- Come on, get out of here. I yeah. thought that I just thought that was really funny. I love and the, it's <laughs> I love they cut up to him one time and he's he's next to you know Robert Kraft in the owner box, and it was as the it was right in the beginning as they were struggling. Yes. And Brady's veins out of his neck about him. shit. Yeah, about like, this is why we got to change fucking code. Like, you could tell he was going in about all the stuff they needed to do. And then yeah. at one point in, in, the, in the interview at, at halftime, too, he says, still fits pretty good, like the jersey. And it was like, dude, he could go at halftime with Bill O'Brien's offense. Like, he could, in the in the box, sign a contract and come out at halftime and actually lead this team to victory. I was thinking that at one point. I'm like, that would be the most Tom Brady thing. Like, no, just a one-day thing. Like, yeah. I'm just doing this real quick because Mac was struggling. He's got it after this, though. Like On that, on that final drive, if Tom Brady had come out, I, I with zero practice, with not knowing anyone else there, I believe, especially with Bill O'Brien calling the plays, 100% believe Tom Brady wins that game. Yeah. Yeah. Coming out completely cold, no preseason, nothing. I totally believe Tom Brady wins that football game, which <laughs> oh, was the was beauty so of him being up there watching down. I also think he should have. The- they should have yeah. let him celeb shot it, dude. That would have been yeah. so cool. And look, we don't have a lot of Pats fans that listen to this podcast for, for probably pretty obvious reasons. Um, but so I don't mind saying this, but the speed of which he took that jersey off, he's standing there on the sideline with uh, Tracy Wolfson. Uh, who who does the uh, the sidelining for CBS crew? She, they finish up the interview and then they they cut away something on the field and then literally within 15 seconds they cut back to Tom Brady going down to the tunnel and the jersey's already off. He couldn't even wear the jersey down the steps into the tunnel and then took it off, which I thought was just incredible. Chef's kiss. Anything to piss off Patriots fans at this point is great. Uh, all right, so that's all we got for that game. Last game. The game that's the least fun to talk about because it's just an absolute fucking shellacking on Sunday night. Uh, the Cowboys and Giants. I will say, look, this is the only time this year we're going to get Giants and Cowboys on Sunday night football. So, well, the well, fact that yeah. it was an ass kicking and that this is the only time this year we have to deal with Cowboys Giants on Sunday night, get it out of the way week one. I kind of loved it. Because now it means that we're going to have more fun matchups on Sunday night. We don't have to wait on the obligatory New York, Dallas, boring as hell, you know, Sunday night football game. Uh, and don't have to watch. And we're still going to have to watch the Cowboys on Sunday night football. We're still going to have to watch the Giants. We don't have to watch both of them. You know, at least I'll be able to root for one of those two teams, which I think is a win uh, for us. But, yeah, the Cowboys, I mean, what an absolute fucking disaster for the Giants. If you're a Giants fan right now, I mean, you just have to hate your life. I mean, 12 minutes changed the day. (laughs) Yeah. And that was it. It was over after that. Uh, 26, nothing at halftime. The, the block kick returned for the touchdown, uh, followed up with the pick six. I mean, if, I mean, hell the giants actually held the Cowboys to nine points in the first quarter or uh, after the first drive held them out of the end zone. Cowboys had to go up and kick a field goal. They ended up going up 16, nothing. Uh, and that was, yeah, that was really all, all she wrote. I mean, Micah Parsons, my God, what an absolute freak of nature that guy yeah, is. Y- your depoy call is looking uh, pretty good right now <laughs> Yeah, through one week. I mean, it's crazy. He's so good, and it looks like he's even better than he's been in the past, which is truly yeah. terrifying. Truly terrifying. Yeah, he looks bigger too, which is nasty. Yeah, he's just he's just all. And, and our friend James, who, friend of the pod, 
and Penn Cowboys State, fan, Penn State fan and Cowboys fan. Uh, I'm pretty sure he he as a grown adult probably has Micah Parsons posters somewhere up in his room. Uh, but on yeah. the ceiling. Yeah. So, yeah. Something to fall asleep <laughs> to, if you know what I'm saying. Uh, we lost Vito. I think he lost his Internet connection. So I think that's about as good a time to wrap it up as anything. Cowboys won yeah. by a lot. I don't want to talk about him. Fuck the Cowboys. Fuck the Giants. Fuck them all. I mean, again, I just I, for us. And it was actually kind of nice because I was like, you know, for as unhappy as I was, as the Eagles looked on Sunday, at least I'm not a fucking Giants fan, man. And I, I drove by East Rutherford. I drove by MetLife. I'd never seen it in person yesterday on our way back. We drove right by it. And I was like, oh, hey, look, there's MetLife. Um, and uh, did not expect that to be the outcome of what we saw on a rainy no day life. in MetLife. Yeah, no life. <laughs> Good call. And on that note, we're going to wrap up the pod. Shout out to Vito and Scotty. Thank you, boys. Vito, back-to-back sick games, flu games for Vito. Hoping he feels better. Uh, Eagles on Thursday night football will break that thing that game down as well as all the action. Uh, the one thing we didn't get to talk about Bama, Texas. Texas is back. The state of Texas is on fire. If you have any uh Cowboys and Longhorn fans in your life, I'm sorry, that must be really annoying. Um, but yeah, we'll uh, put it on mute, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, but we can we can refresh some of the college football stuff. Today was about the NFL, as it should have been. So uh, for Scotty and Vito, I'm Jeff. Thank you all for listening. As always, we'll be back later in the week. And as always, take it easy, everybody.